got talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. The season is upon us, and we are here for you, your Cleveland.com coverage team. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, and I'm Douglas Maurice. We did the three-man pod last week. Uh, last week we're back with the three-man pod this week. So drop some iTunes. We need some three-man pod reviews on iTunes for Buckeye Talk. Let us know what you think. Any suggestions? Um, no criticisms though. Only nice things. Because that's how we write, guys. Right? We only write nice things about the Buckeyes. I wrote about Pete Warner's neck today. Wonderful, flattering things about the neck of a 21-year-old man. That's what we brought you on Cleveland.com. Make sure you're reading us at Cleveland.com. Follow us on Twitter at Stephen underscore Means, at N.W. Baird, at Doug Maurice, at Buckeye Talk Pod. We're bringing you predictions for the season, which starts on Saturday at noon against Florida Atlantic. But I'm going to dive in sideways because it's kind of a thing I like to do sometimes. I asked a question on Twitter the other day. This is not exactly a question. Not exactly a prediction, but I think it is, will help shape our perspective of the season. We're going to give you our record for Ohio State, who they're going to beat, who they're going to lose to, how different players are going to do. I asked this question, who will emerge as Ohio State's leading Heisman Trophy candidate? 1,049 votes on Twitter. I gave three candidates, Justin Fields, J.K. Dobbins, and Chase Young. 44% Justin Fields, 43% J.K. Dobbins. 13% Chase Young. Nathan, who do you think will emerge as Ohio State's leading Heisman Trophy candidate by the end of this season? You know, I don't well, I don't know if any of them emerge as a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate this season. I think the most likely of those three is Fields for two reasons. Number one, I just feel like he has the most the most capacity to have that kind of electric season that really, you know, that sort of highlight season, those 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 highlight real plays that catch attention, that go viral, that because he's going to need to kind of build a, not being a front runner, not being someone who's necessarily at the top of the conversation, you have to kind of you know build a candidacy that way, and he would get credited a lot if if Ohio State were to you know make some kind of a an undefeated regular season or or a run into the playoffs, he's going to get credited for helping make that happen by kind of coming in and, and saving the day a little bit. So um, he's the one that I would put at the top of the list also because I think even if J.K. Dobbins has a really good year, he's probably going to get overshadowed by Jonathan Taylor as far as just running backs within the Big Ten. Um, so I, I, Taylor is still, I, to me, the, the, the best running back in the Big Ten um, and would be the one who's most likely to get real Heisman um, candidacy out, out of this season. So I think it would be tough to see Dobbins having the kind of season that would overtake that. What do you think, Steven? I'm going to go with Justin Fields as well. J.K. Dobbins is going to get the ball a lot this year, but he's not going to get the ball the way Jonathan Taylor is going to get the ball, which if you're a running back, that's what needs to happen for you to be in that conversation. In the offense that Ohio State's going to run this year, you've got a quarterback who can throw the ball and who can run the ball. So that's two ways that he can generate offense for you. Listen, I mean, it's great that you threw Chase in there, but, like, there's been one defensive player ever to win the Heisman. I don't know if that's going to change, especially from his position. And Chase is not going to return punts. No, he's not. He's just he's going to do one thing, and that's mm. he's going to do literally one. No. 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 Like, probably not going to return punts? <laughs> no. He's fast. But he's he's fa fast for alignment. Would he's you not... want to tackle him if he was running a punt back? <laughs> Ryan Day. We know Ryan Day listens. 
or someone, Mike Bassford or somebody at Ohio State who listens to this, on a slip of paper, write Chase Young returning punts and slide it under Ryan Day's door. That's all. I'm going to give you a better option. They should do what Clemson did last year and have a like red zone package for him. Two notes. Chase Young <laughs> returning punts. Chase Young red zone package. Yeah, they know, but, admit, but in all seriousness, so, yeah, Justin Fields, just because of the type of offense Ohio State can run, it, he can have. I'm not going to say he's going to have the type of year Kyler Murray had, but like as far as that's the type of approach they have, Kyler Murray can throw it. He can also run it. Justin Fields can throw it. He can run it. He can have games where he has 250 passing yards and like 75 rushing yards. So of the three, He's just going to have the more most variety of ways he can affect the team. All right, so so I'm J.K. Dobbins, um, and and I'm going to use uh, the column that I wrote Sunday. Uh, if you guys haven't read it, um, the headline is predicting the big numbers the Ohio State Buckeyes could put up this season. So go find that. I, I literally predicted every offensive number for this team. Justin Fields passing, Justin Fields rushing, J.K. Dobbins rushing, the backup running backs rushing, every single receiver, how many catches they'll have, how many receiving yards they'll have, how many average, how many plays the Ohio State offense will run per game, what their total number of yards will be this season. And I'm going to use some of that in our discussion for you guys to say, you know, for instance, hey, Doug, that's ludicrous, you know, or hey, Doug, you don't understand football, right? So that, I think, will help um, – set a foundation for the discussion. So I will tell you when when the, the idea of like he's not Jonathan Taylor, he's not going to get that kind of like opportunity and attention. Jonathan Taylor <laughs> I think I probably screwed this up. Jonathan Taylor last year had 307 carries, which was the most in the nation. Um and he ran for 2194 yards. And I predicted J.K. Dobbins to get 325 carries this year, which is 13 games, 25 a game. And I predicted that he will average 150 rushing yards a game. So that is how in I am in on A, J.K. Dobbins' workload, and B, J.K. Dobbins' production. Because I think, and I actually was just talking to somebody at Ohio State about this today, I think people think Ryan Day is like a crazy throw the ball guy because they had Dwayne Haskins. And it was interesting when when Ryan Day got here in 2017, he got here at a time when Ohio State was was begging and was begging itself to throw the ball. Because um in 2000 after the 2015 season when like they had all this talent and they threw like 19 touchdown passes the whole year when they were splitting it between Cardale and JT in 2015 it was just nuts if you want I could I went back and like researched old offensive stats to compare to help me project the offensive stats this year if you want to drive yourself bonkers go back and look at the offensive stats for the 2015 Buckeyes and think to yourself how did that offense stink that bad with the talent that they had? Not just with Michael Thomas and Ezekiel Elliott and Jalen Marshall and JT Barrett and Cardale Jones and Nick Vanette, but also like guys on the offensive line. It is unbelievable how unproductive they were for stretches there. Um, but in, in at, coming off of that, in 2016, they said, we want to throw it. We got to throw it downfield. We got to throw it downfield. We got to throw it downfield. 
Then they go lose. They get they make the playoff. They get shut out against Clemson, thirty-one nothing, and they say we really got to throw it downfield. So when Ryan Day got here in twenty seventeen, they were trying to take J T. Barrett, who wasn't necessarily a natural downfield thrower, but he was a fifth-year senior. They knew they had to do it. They knew they had to stretch the field because Deshaun Watson had shown them up close and personal. Like, JT Barrett's not going to cut it. You can't just have your your quarterback be a fullback and, like, on the national stage, you're going to fall short. You've got to throw it. So Ryan Day got here, and they pushed that envelope in 17. Then in 18, they have the greatest thrower of a football in the 100 years of Ohio State football. Nobody in the history of Ohio State has been a more natural thrower of the ball from, than Dwayne Haskins. So I think like you think that's what that's what Ryan Day is. But but circumstance helped lead Ryan Day to call an offense that way. And I just feel like circumstance may lead them back toward really being quite an effective run team this year. And I think if they're going to really effectively run it while also trying to make sure they don't get Justin Fields beat up, that means like more J.K. Dobbins than you ever would imagine. And so, in hindsight, perhaps 325 <laughs> carries is a lot. Maybe, like, like I think he'll have games where he'll get 25. To have it be that, like, well, so like, if you have a game where you have 19, now you have to have another game where you have 31 right, to average 25. That's kind of my point. I mean, if you're to average 320 carries even over 14 games, that's or to get 320 carries over 14 games, that's 23 carries a game. Yeah, with a quarterback who also runs the ball a lot, with presumably you're giving some carries to other guys in this offense. Although I now think you not start many. to become a 40, 45 carry a game team. So, so I would argue. So, so now we're on this topic a little bit. We're just gonna like we're gonna maneuver around. You guys know how this podcast works. We bounce, we zig, we zag. Do you think? What do you think the backup running backs are gonna do? And again, Nathan, you've been here for. Six eight days. days. Yes, <laughs> eight days. Yeah, but it has been an ongoing thing. We've talked about who's a backup running back, who's a backup running back, who's a backup running back. You wrote about it, Stephen, when it was like, okay, it's Demario. But how much do you think they're actually going to give it to him? Because I think, like, here's my question: Who was Ohio State's backup running back behind Ezekiel Elliott? I know who. Who, I, who cares? But you, it doesn't yeah. matter. No, because yeah. you had Ezekiel. I am expecting basically an Ezekiel Elliott season from J.K. Dobbins. Now that doesn't mean I think I don't think J.K. Dobbins is going to be the fourth pick in the draft. But that's what I'm thinking in terms of how much you rely on him, how effective he can be, how dangerous he can be, how he can break big runs, how he can get tough yards, and 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 that is why I probably. If I could go back in time, listen, it just takes me forever. I write the whole thing. I get stuck on stats. If I go back in time, I probably would dial back 25 carries a game a little bit. But it is part of my idea of what the shape of this offense will be, which is a running team that really leans on one guy. Because I also said Justin Fields is going to average 11 carries a game, which is they've had years where JT Barrett averaged like 17 or 18. And it's all in the story. But... Last year, and here's the other thing, like last year, Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins combined were a 2,000-yard back. 
It's just they did yeah. it combined. Yeah. And that was with the Dwayne Haskins offense. So it's like, well, how could they run that much? They ran for – their starting tailback ran for 2,000 yards in the Dwayne Haskins offense. It's just that the starting tailback was two guys. Okay, so that, I'm merging their stats into J.K. Dobbins. Okay, there's a world where he runs for 2,000 yards next season. Because I've, I've got Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott's stats up right now. He ran for 1,800 yards on 289 carries his, his final year. Well, <clears throat> J.K. Dobbins has 230 last year for a little over 1,000 in a year that he's called a failure, even though we all looked at him like he was crazy for saying it. So if he gets back to the top of runner he was as a freshman where he averaged 7.2 yards a carry – and he gets the type of carries Ezekiel had his junior year, which is 290, basically. Yeah, there's 200 more yards there than what Ezekiel had that year. So that's a possibility to, for him to get to 2,000 yards. Okay. Nathan is looking us, at us like, first he thought I was crazy, now he also thinks Stephen <laughs> well, is not. No, because Stephen is, Stephen's not making a prediction. He's just pointing out that it's something that's possible. Here's counterpoint to what you were just saying, though. Last year... A year where presumably he was fresher, and that, that that's a, an arguable thing because people also say that there's something to be said for a running back going in and being kind of the bell cow, getting into a rhythm, all that stuff. But you know, on fresher legs and within an offense where you would have thought that teams had to sell out a little bit as far as defending the run because you had to defend such a prolific passing attack. He was still averaging, what, five yards of carries? Now, this year, with a an offensive line that we think could no. be better, but we don't know, and and the other dynamics going on, he's going to take a two-yard per carry jump in his average? So, so, so the... the you have to uh, clearly to be where I am. You have to believe in the redemption of J.K. Dobbins. He averaged seven and a half yards a carry as a freshman and four and a half as a sophomore. Like when he said in the one news conference, because we've had a, this kind of conversation with him every time we've talked to him since yeah. the spring. When he said the time that he said it felt like a failure, and I, I, I think I said, "Really, failure?" He was like, "Yeah, failure." And it was like, "Wow," and it's like. Yeah, I get it. I I get what you're saying because he didn't pop anything big. And this is what I wrote about in the J.K. Dobbins story a couple weeks ago. He didn't pop anything big. He didn't turn three-yard gains into six-yard gains. He, he, he had a bad year. He was bad. But he's like, again, we he's changed physically. He's changed mentally. I think the way they're going to run the ball is going to be more conducive to him. Um, and And I think the offensive line, though young, actually could be better. You, but if you must believe in a completely different J.K. Dobbins, because the guy last year is not running for 2,000 yards. The freshman who who showed something and ran for whatever it was, 178 yards in his very first game in college football, he's got to get back to that guy. So for him to have a 2,000-yard season, both things have to be in place. A, he's awesome again, and B, they lean on him Super hard, and and that, is, but that's where I am. That's where I am. So so let's move past. Let's move past the how good he'll be, but let's move to the the way we think the offense will operate. The idea that they could have a running back average twenty five carries a game. The idea that like that between I again I I have between Fields and Dobbins thirty six carries a game in a world where I'm projecting they'll run seventy six plays per game. And I think I gave the backup running backs like five. Like, does that sound possible? 
that, that that they would lean on the run to that extent with what we know about this talent and this coaching staff. Well, I don't look at the season as I don't look at the season in whole necessarily that same way, but I definitely see a team where it makes a lot of sense for them to come out and rely on him, rely on the running game, rely on Dobbins from the start. You know, if you can get him established, that in theory makes things easier for Fields in a lot of ways. It makes things easier for him as a runner. It makes things easier for him as a passer. So I would de- could definitely see them coming out from the beginning against Florida Atlantic, maybe even against Cincinnati, Indiana, these early games, and establishing the run, getting that going, and letting the offense kind of build off of that. I know that that's maybe almost a cliche at this point, but that, that seems to make a lot of sense. Um, now, whether that's the same thing that they're doing to try to win games in November, I don't know. But that makes a lot of sense to me to start the year. I could see... Now, the other thing you don't want to do there in that scenario, though, is, is wear Dobbins down. Because, well, because be when you're getting yeah. up into you know 300 and some carries, that, that is a big load. And there's a reason why no, more guys don't do that. I, but I will say that... And I've had a, a burr in my saddle a little bit about Jonathan Taylor. A burr in my saddle? <laughs> I was going to say a bug up my butt, but I didn't want to say butt on the Where podcast. Where do you keep the horse? I met the yeah. dog. The dog's pretty big. Where do you keep the horse? Yeah, well, actually, there are multiple people. You know who has a horse is Tim May. Tim May has horses at his house. I'm not surprised at all by <laughs> yeah. that. Tim I'm May here. tells a tremendous story about when his horse, one of his horses dropped dead and he had to like he like went across the street and some guy had like a bulldozer and he paid him to come over and like dig a hole and like bury the horse and like his wife i think his family got home and like there was like a hump in the yard <laughs> cuz they didn't dig the hole deep enough i don't know if i should be telling tim may horse stories on this podcast he has his own podcast go go to his podcast and ask him about the, his horse the tim story. may horse podcast i mean the tim may equestrian experience tim may also as a teenager was flying an airplane and got hit by a gust of wind and the plane started to go over, so he just went with it and did a 360. Tim May has lived an interesting life. Hey, I think yeah. you you turn into <laughs> the you're supposed to turn into the into the skid, right? That is at that thirty thousand feet. That is whatever. Tim May's philosophy of life: is turn into the skid. <laughs> and look where it's gotten him. It's a it's legend. One, it's one way in snow, and it's one way on dry land, and it's one way in the that air. Makes me but I always get confused. I don't remember which is which. Yeah, I can tell you that. Uh, I think I'm going to get a Greyhound and go to Nebraska now. I have neither. Yeah, I've ridden neither. A, I don't know if I've ever ridden a horse. I, I certainly have, I have never not flown an airplane. I grew up in a in a very rural part of the country and still never rode a horse. Have never. you ridden a horse, Stephen? Of course not. <laughs> no. How no. did you? No, not at all. How did you avoid the horse, horse riding. riding in a rural setting? I was. I grew up in the 20th century where we don't <laughs> have to ride horses anymore. <laughs> We've invented cars and bicycles and any sort of other kind of transportation. Yeah. Basically, like yeah. I mean, I did, I grew up in a rural area, but I grew up in a in a town in a rural area. The yeah. farm kids all went <laughs> there out. There were gas the stations. This is, I feel like, a theme. weren't we talking about the farm kids last week on this? We're very um, interested in your in the yeah. the snooty yeah. farm kids was a big <laughs> hit. I think. Um, I had people ask me about that on Twitter. I, I reconnected with some. We had I had some somebody. One of our listeners had some relations that I knew back in uh, in Vermilion County, Illinois. That's so. what we strive to do here on Buckeye Talk. Um, but I guess my point is. To me, anything Jonathan Taylor can do, J.K. Dobbins can do. Because I think Jonathan Taylor, just like every... And I don't think Jonathan Taylor is Melvin Gordon. I don't think Jonathan Taylor... I'm not even sure Jonathan Taylor is Monty Ball. I don't know. I'm trying to think, you know, I don't. he's not Ron Dane. 
like the guy who gets to be the tailback at Wisconsin and they give the ball to all the time and has, has six has gets the, uh, six yes. they do six that. six guys 320 pound guys blocking for him has the Kevin Zeitlers and and Travis Fredericks and Joe Thomases of the world blocking for him yes well but that yes. brings us back to the point does does opportunities does JK Dobbins does JK Dobbins have those guys blocking for him here Long pause. Uh, Dramatic pause. uh, No, 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 no. But I think, like, maybe again, again, that I... 325 was really out of hand. I can't believe I get more emails about that. 325? You should have saved that for outrageous predictions. Yeah. Yeah. We'll bring it back. J.K. Dobbins will carry the ball 51 times against Florida Atlantic. Um I think he can be – so I guess part of my point is there's the, there's the statistical Jonathan Taylor, which is what we're talking about because we're talking about predictions. But there's also like Jonathan Taylor, the running back, the effective football player. I think Jonathan, I think J.K. Dobbins is as good as Jonathan Taylor. And I know people have high praise for Jonathan Taylor, and he's really good at finding holes, and he has good balance, and I think he is a complete running back. Um, I think J.K. Dobbins, everything was the worst of all possible worlds for him last year, and I think they are – if you're, uh, and we we did we talked to Ryan Day and the assistants and three players on Tuesday. So so now let me let me springboard to the next question. D- do you think that Ryan Day is interested in trying to do things to help ease Justin Fields in and try to make life easy on him for the first month of the season? Yeah, one hundred percent. And I think that's part of the reason why he's putting such an such pressure on J.K. Dobbins to come out from the get-go and have such a big-time year is because he knows he's got a quarterback who's still learning. And I think it's part of the reason why he'll say Justin Fields is a starter, but like that just means he's taking the first snap against Florida Atlantic, which we all know Justin Fields is going to be a starter all year, but he hasn't. it doesn't feel like he's 100% comfortable with just giving him that role yet just because he's still learning a lot of things. And he's the most experienced – he's probably the most experienced guy in that room outside of chugging off. But like that's not saying much because he's only been here for six months. So he's putting an animus on other players to kind of step up in place of Justin Fields until maybe game five or game six when Justin Fields feels a little bit more comfortable. I will say I'm, int- I'm intrigued to see how they approach the passing game in this first game because you do want to protect him. Um, you want to see at the same time, though, what he can create with his own legs, and that include that's as much in the passing game as it is the running game at times, yeah. and how, and this this team has to, this team has not played games other than scrimmages with Justin Fields as its quarterback, and there still, I believe, is probably some growing and some gelling that has to happen that can only happen in game scenarios, where, where guys start to learn how he plays, how he starts to learn how other guys play, and how much are they just going to... This game should afford them some opportunities to turn it loose a little bit and to take some chances. They they should have the kind of lead where they don't have to really manage the game as much. And he because at some point this year you're going to need just Justin Fields to go out and win you a game or lead you down the field at a crucial time and take chances and and take those chances that, that pay off in big ways. So I, I think some of that has to start happening even in a game like this where the stakes shouldn't be that high in the, in the final minutes or the final minutes of whatever portion of the game he plays if it doesn't get all the way to the fourth quarter. I do think... <clears throat> I think 
after I think J.K. Dobbins is going to have like one of those games on Saturday where he runs like 18 times for 211 yards and three touchdowns or something. And, and I think and I think there's going to be like a national college football reaction of like, whoa, that dude is back. And I think that we might be in a. It, I'm prepared for a September of like, hey, J.K. Dobbins is back. He's as good as any running back in the country. Boy, like all these eyes were on Justin Fields, and Justin Fields is like solid, and things are working for Ohio State. But I really am just um, prepared for. I mean, this dude burst out of the gate as a freshman, and again, last year was just shocking. I am just pre- completely prepared for, from an opportunity standpoint and a, and a performance standpoint, the absolute reemergence of J.K. Dobbins as, as like an All American candidate. I, I think that happens more likely in October. As far as turning heads like that, I don't think it happens necessarily against the September schedule. I think if he goes out and runs for 200 yards and three touchdowns against Florida Atlantic or Miami of Ohio, I don't think that um, creates the same kind of buzz than if he does it against Michigan State. No, I do. I think it creates that type of buzz, and I think it's going to be a needed buzz because, like you just said, Doug, it, it's probably going to take a little bit of the attention off of what Justin Fields is or isn't doing if your running back is running for 200 yards, regardless of who it's against. And so because that I don't, I'm, it's not going to take the pressure off of a guy who's a five-star quarterback. It's not going to do that. But it's at least going to take all the attention that's on him and put some of it on the fact that there's a running back now who seems like he's gotten back to the form that he was as a freshman. But with that, here's, my first game covering here was the Nebraska game. And that was a game where they were coming off of a loss and they were trying to reestablish the running game. And so they kind of force-fed guys the ball. J.K. Dobbins had his best game of the season to that point. But... Dwayne Haskins struggled because they didn't focus so much. They put all of the focus into the running game instead of having any of the focus on the thing that's been their bread and butter the entire season. And I don't know if that's going to happen if if what we're saying with J.K. Dobbins happens where they kind of give him the ball so much, so much, so much that it kind of, I don't want it hurts the passing game. And then we're here in week seven or week eight when they're coming off of a loss. And now they're trying to force feed passing because they need to get that rejumping. And now it, kind of messes up what J.K. Dobbins has going on. I mean, it, it, it's it's a very good point. I think, And I think that's actually part of what happened last year, too, is like they had they had trouble sort of – they leaned on the pass so much, then sometimes when they tried to emphasize the run, the pass got thrown off. But I think J.K.'s season was affected in part by some of the RPO stuff, some of yeah. the run blocking, which was thrown off by the fact that they were pass blocking so much and they leaned so much on the pass. I think there's going to be more balance to the offense this year. And I'm not saying that's better. I mean, like, nobody – if you had Dwayne Haskins back this year, you'd take Dwayne Haskins 100 times out of 100. And I think – I think everybody would have – I think they'd be a top three. If Dwayne Haskins was back, I think Ohio State would be in the preseason top three. I think everybody in the country would have them in the playoff. And I think they would be an absolutely overwhelming Big Ten favorite. And I think Dobbins would still be in a position where he could have this type of year because – Regardless of what Dwayne, ha- if, if Mike Weber still leaves, J.K. Dobbins is still the number one in the head hunch of running back, which means he's still getting all of these carries. And yeah, it's maybe not the type of carries he's going to get this year just because there's going to be a lot more RPOs and a lot more read option out, out there. But it's still a lot more carries than he would have gotten last year because he's not having to rotate with another guy. And you can still have the passing game you have. Which, so you guys would have a better grasp of this than, than me, especially you, Doug, having been here for the start of season so many times. But is, is this a more – are things more uncertain than – when was the last time you remember going into a season having less of a grasp of what the offense was going to look like? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's funny because um, I feel like there is a lot of uncertainty sometimes with Ohio State because, like, they're so talented and you know they're going to be good, but a lot of times you don't exactly know how it's going to look. So even, like, I mean, even just, like, the Urban era, it's, like, 2012, it's Urban's first year. You've got Braxton Miller, who's basically a tailback playing quarterback that year. They have no offensive weapons. He runs around like a maniac. Their whole offense is Braxton Save Us. Braxton's back in 2013, but you don't know exactly – how good like Carlos Hyde was pretty good in 2012 and then like he emerges in 2013 and then Braxton and Carlos Hyde just like zone read people to death although Braxton didn't read it that much but they're just a two-headed monster running the ball and then in 14 Braxton's hurt you have no idea how it's going to look with JT Barrett then in 15 they have the quarterback controversy they're playing two quarterbacks in 16 it's back to JT being the guy but you're, they're trying to make him throw same thing in 17 and then 18 you completely change the offense because you have a throwing quarterback for the first time in the urban era so there is, and even with Terrell Pryor, there was uncertainty sometimes. You know, of like I think maybe like by 2010, you know, Pryor took the starting job in 2008. You figured in 2009, okay, he's getting it, and then like by 2010, it was like okay, they're going to be good now. And then of course by the end of 2010, the whole program exploded. So that's what happens when you have uncertainty. The program catches on fire. So this is to me, this is not that unusual. I mean, it's part of it's the nature of college football. Yeah. Part of it is it's exacerbated by a place where guys leave after three years. It's, it's exacerbated by a, a, the kind of place where a guy can start, be a first year starter, be an all American, and leave. Yeah, you know, and so you have just much more turnover. Um, a lot of their good assistant coaches, guys leave. You know, so I mean, I think this is kind of how it is a lot of the time. Like nobody is questioning Justin Fields' talent. I think the question about Justin Fields is how they're going to use it and when he's going to reach his ceiling. Is he going to reach his ceiling in week one, in week six, in week 10, or in 2020? And how are they going to get him to that ceiling? So that's what's fascinating, but that often is the story of Ohio State. How, you have the raw talent, but how's it going to look? And sometimes it takes until the middle of October to know. And this, that can, it, I, I ask that because it kind of plays into what I'm ultimately going to say for my prediction later because I'm trying to gauge, you know, I'm coming in again right before the season, trying to trying to read the way, the vibe that I'm getting here. And that, that's important to me to, to, to know that what seems like uncertainty here or, or a lot of question marks is maybe just SOP. Another day at the job. On yeah. the job. I don't think, can you, what is that? Standard operating. Oh, I thought it stood for something else. <laughs> Jeff Halfley said an NFL word today yeah, at the podium. Yeah, I asked like a question of Jeff Halfley, who's the co-defensive coordinator, about like coming from the NFL, and you could tell he was kind of sick of that because we we've said that kind of thing to him a million times, and he was like, "Well, you know, I've been in college football ten years, and I was in the only in the NFL for seven years, so it's like I'm really a college guy." And I said, "Like in your heart, you're a college guy," and he's like, "I'm here now, aren't I?" But he also said the S word at a news conference, and I wanted to say, Jeff, that's not what you do in college. College guy would know that. I, you know, what's the uh, um, SMH when SMH became mm -hmm. popular? Um, shaking my head. Right? Yeah, I know, but I'm trying to think. What did you think it was? I thought it was uh, the S word in my hat. <laughs> like, like, like this thing happened. SMH, like. Man, crap in my hat. I can't believe that happened. Is that a real saying, though? Like, yeah. No. 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 <laughs> I was curious. So why would you think that was a thing? I'm just trying to... I see SMH. Like, oh, man. Oh. Did you hear what happened? Did you hear uh, Miley Cyrus and the guy who plays Thor getting divorced? Oh, 
crap in my hat. It's like something a 65-year-old man would yeah. say. Well, it made complete sense in my head, and then it was like, no, no, that is not. My not favorite one clue. of those. My favorite one of those. Uh, you know, they, they you see these things pop up on like Facebook every once in a while, like you know, text messages gone wrong or text exchanges with your parents. And one of them was like, somebody had gotten a text from their mom that was like, "Sorry to tell you that your your grandma passed away today." LOL. And the kid was like, "LOL, what are you laughing at?" He was like, "No, LOL, lots of love." Like, no, mom, that's not it's what not, LOL means. Not. Grandma's dead. <laughs> but SMH, I think that takes that's another yeah. that's the new winner. Wow. That's how my brain works. Okay, so I, I don't want to spend too much time on Justin Fields running it because we talked a lot about running. I want to get to the passing game, which I think is super interesting. We want to get to defense. I mean, then we want to get to our, our predicted records, which we'll do in the middle here. And then we'll get to your questions, as always. And we will be getting to your questions from the Project Tech subscribers. Three ninety nine a month. We're rolling, people. It's football season. Three ninety nine a month. Two, three, eh, maybe four. Often I take a break on Sundays. Two or three text messages a day, straight to your phone, information and insight about the Ohio State football program. The numbers keep going up. I know a lot of the podcast listeners have become subscribers. We certainly appreciate that. A, it's a great way to support Cleveland.com. If you've ever wanted to support this podcast or support our work, you can do it by going to projecttext.com slash Buckeye Talk. It is not a coincidence that our text subscription is called Buckeye Talk because we see it as, as an outgrowth of this podcast. It's basically little podcast snippets in your phone so you don't have to wait for this once a week. $3.99 a month. Try it. It's a 14-day free trial. If you don't like it, you text STOP. It hurts my feelings, but that's okay. We stop it. You don't get charged. If you like it, you know, 4 bucks a month, eh, you know, maybe you can swing it. We'd appreciate it if you at least try it because most of the people who have tried it have texted me and said we really like it. So we will be getting to questions from the tech subscribers later in this podcast. I want to talk a little bit about Justin Fields running the ball. Again, if you guys read this thing on Sunday, I'm just running through it so you can have it fresh in your head, or if you didn't see it, go read it. Here were the carries per game and yards rushing per game for recent Ohio State quarterbacks. Terrell Pryor in 2008, 11 carries for 49. In 09, 12 carries for 60. In 2010, 10 carries for 58. Braxton Miller in 2012, 19 carries for 106, which is nuts. 2013, 14 carries for 89. JT Barrett, 2014, 14 carries for 78. 2016, we skipped 15 because of the quarterback mess. 2016, 16 carries for 65. 2017, 12 carries for 57. So one thing you'll notice there is most of those guys carry the ball less as they get older. As they get more developed in the passing game, they get more comfortable throwing the ball. The coaches get more comfortable with giving them more responsibility. They don't have to run as much. Troy Smith, I didn't go back to him. He's a great example of this. When he took over in 2004, he was running all over people. By his senior year when he won the Heisman Trophy in 2006, he certainly had the ability to run, but he hardly ran at all because he was a complete, totally functional passer. I, Based off that, I said the average of those quarterbacks was about 14 carries for 70 yards when you look at Miller, Barrett, and Pryor. My guess at Justin Fields for this year was 11 carries per game for 61 yards. Again, the average of Barrett, Miller, and Pryor in their average year, 14 for 70. 
I said Fields 11 for 61, which is about five and a half yards per carry. Does that number sound in the ballpark to you of how you think this offense will function? Or do you think they will run Justin Fields less than that or more than that? Well, you, you know better than I as far as some of the X factors that go into that, which is did those other teams have a passing game with as much depth and as many weapons as this one does? I mean, there, there are some other things that factor in here, how much you think they're going to feel like they have to just distribute the ball to these other playmakers they have. I'm going to go less. One, because there are weapons on on the wide receiver front. Two, because J.K. Dobbins does exist. Three, because of simply the death about the quarterback position. They can't afford for him to get hurt at all. So if that means preserving him by not running him nearly as much as maybe his ability says you should, then that's what they're going to do because the the drop off, the gap between, to put it in Urban Myers' word, the gap between number one and number two is so wide that you can't, you can't afford for him to get hurt. So what do you think, if so? If you think 11 carries a game is too much, what do you think it'll settle at more likely? Eight or nine, most likely, and may, four of them are because he kept it in a read. Four of them maybe a called run, four of them yeah. maybe a scramble. Yeah. Does that sound more like the range to you, Nathan, or do you think it could be this high? I think, it, I, I think what you wrote makes a little bit of sense because, again, some of this is going to change as the season goes along, and, and there's going to be games where they they need him running the ball late in the game, and that's not going to be the case in September, probably. I think in September is, pro- is where you maybe lean on your running back a little bit more, running backs, potentially plural, to to take care of the game in the second half when you've got a big lead. But during Big Ten play, I think he's going to have to be more of a weapon um, at, at time. But again, it, it, it's, it's going to be one of those just game-by-game things. There's going to be games, there's going to be teams who are very susceptible and just because of their own personnel and their own scheme to to what Ohio State does with the, with the zone read, and there's going to be other or the or the RPOs, and there's going to be other opponents that are better situated to stop that. And, and Ohio State's going to have to find some way to exploit other weaknesses. So so let let me let's get to the passing game because the way the way you guys were just talking now made me want to ask this question: How good? Are these Ohio State receivers really? How good are they really? Assuming that the top six will be Ben Victor, senior, Austin Mack, senior, Chris Olave, sophomore, who flashed at the end of last year, Garrett Wilson, freshman, KJ Hill, fifth year senior, who will break Ohio State's record uh, for most catches in his career, and then probably Jalen Gill as a redshirt freshman. How good? Really? Are they, is there an All American? Is there an All Big Ten receiver in that group this year? Yeah. Well, this well, yeah. Okay, so obviously, again, I'm coming from a place where I have not seen. I get it. A, You're the new a, guy. A snap. Of <laughs> I, I keep <laughs> I keep putting that qualifier out there. Okay. Because here's, the well, thing here's, that, but here's but what I will so say. Just so you know, lack of knowledge on this podcast is no excuse for a lack of opinion. It's almost so. a prerequisite. <laughs> um, I know. I would say. It, what I think make the determining factor there is I think there are some guys who are not going to be listed in the number one spot on the depth chart who have a higher ceiling than the guys who are listed first. The number one guys in those rotations. If those younger, higher ceiling guys step up and are more consistent, if it's not a flash anymore, if those guys, I'm talking about Chris Olave, I'm talking about um, Garrett Wilson, I guess, primarily, those two guys who we've heard so much about the 
just sheer talent that those guys have, the skill that those guys have. If those guys can become consistent threats, then I think this unit takes a jump. So I have a question for you because you've been here longer than all of us and you'll know this better than everybody else. Paris Campbell, Johnny Dixon, Terry McLaurin. Before last season, coming into those season last season, outside of Paris Campbell, because he clearly had had the most experience of the three, did you look at any of them and go, "Man, they're gonna break. They're gonna be one of those guys is gonna be a second round draft pick. Another one of those guys is gonna be what a fourth round draft pick." Fourth, like McLaurin. Well, Paris was a second. McLaurin yeah. was a third. Okay, so did you look at that and go, "That wide receiver core has a second round draft pick and a third round draft pick"? No. But they also had Dwayne Haskins. You're right. To him. I understand that. Right. And he can be the greatest thrower in the world, but they got to catch the ball. And they got to make something happen, especially when they're running mesh routes and crossing routes. They got to make, they got to catch the ball and they got to make something happen with it. KJ Hill, I think, is the Paris Campbell in this situation. He's the guy who clearly has the most experience. I am not sitting here and saying that Austin Mack and Ben Victor are going to have the type of year Johnny Dixon and Terry McLaurin had, but it can be similar. It's not like crazy to think that like one of them can go for like 600 maybe 550 yards this year and another one can get 400 yards this year. That's not a crazy thing that, you know, once not, not let's not even let's not even put on just Austin Mack and Ben Victor. Between those two, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, who are going to be rotating with each other on on those two sides, it's not crazy to think that like that statistic can still happen. But but I guess so and we'll, and again, everything we're discussing here is we're we're sort of doing predictions, so of course there are statistics that are part of this, but we're also just sort of talking about the team and how they're gonna function. Right. I am not sure like KJ Hill is really super solid. And he has been a playmaker for this team. Absolutely. He scored the, the touchdown against Penn State, has made key catches for them. Um I, I don't think he's a game breaker, but I think he's like really reliable. And we've talked for five years how he has the best hands on the team. I think Olave has a really high upside. Just the way that he flashed at the end last year, I thought he made plays on the ball in the Michigan game where he went up and got it, where he positioned his body in a way to like ward off a cornerback and go to the ball and be aggressive and go get it, not wait for it to come to him. That I found very attractive. I don't know that there's an all-Big Ten receiver on this team. And I don't know who the all-Big Ten receivers are. But there's not a Michael Thomas right now. There's not a Michael Thomas on this team. There's not, there's not, a, there's not a person who is going to come off this team and would be worthy of a mid-second round pick and immediately make a splash in the NFL next year. Now, like Garrett Wilson, everyone thinks he's going to be that. But I'm talking about what Garrett Wilson's going to do this year, right? There's not a Michael Thomas. There's not a Devin Smith. There is not a devastating deep threat who is going to go down the field and then jump up like a high jumper and haul in anything within five yards of him. Austin Mack was having a really good year last year before he got hurt, and I feel bad for Austin Mack that he got hurt. 331 receiving yards on 26 catches. So his career... Is two catches for 15, 24 catches for 343, 26 catches for 331. Now, 26 catches for 331 in eight games like last year is pretty good. But we're not, I mean, we're not talking about setting the world on fire, right? Let's look at Ben Victor. I have it up. Ben Victor's career four for 64, 
23 for 349, 21 for 354. Good, again, but those are like the two veterans. Those are the two veterans who are going to start. K.J. Hill's stats are great. K.J. Hill's going to end up as productive as anybody in Ohio State history. I, I just, and I know they've spread the ball around. I just, I, as we think about this passing game, of course Ohio State has talent. But if you go through and you say, man, is there a Chase Young in the receiving core? Is there a Jeffrey Okuda in the receiving core? Is there a J.K. Dobbins? in the receiving core? Is there a Jordan Fuller in the receiving core? I think you could go to a lot of position groups and go, oh, that dude's good. That dude's good. And there's depth. But I've always argued at Ohio State, depth is lovely. Give me a stud. Who did you say that about last season at this time? I don't know. That's my point. It's And it was kind of my point, too. Like, Because you're naming Olave and Garrett Wilson. Like, those guys... If they were to, if they take that jump and start to reach for their ceiling as soon as this year, that changes the narrative a lot with that receiving core. I'm speaking more. It to, does. Go ahead. No, no. It then does. those guys can become that kind of All Big Ten player. All I'm saying is, I don't think it's crazy to think that two guys who are going to be starters in Austin Mack and Benjamin Victor, when they weren't the starters last year, if they both had around 350 yards, it's not crazy to think that they can both get. 200 more yards. It's not but, being in that in a role where it's, it's a more extended role now. But beyond beyond stats, how how scary? If you're a defense and you're game planning for Ben Victor, KJ Hill, and Austin Mack, are you and, and Chris Olave and, and Jalen Gill and Garrett Wilson? Are you like, oh man, we're in no, trouble? No. Yeah, but I I think that's a little bit overrated. Uh, There's no Rondell the Moore. Where's Rondell Moore? I know there's no Rondell Moore, but here's a better example. First of all, well, first of all, that was something else I was going to bring up, that there's only six guys that get to be all Big Ten receivers, first, second, third team, two on each. So out of 14 teams, you're only picking six, and one of them probably is spoken for in Rondell Moore right now. So you're now, now you're down to five. But I will say it's more about the production of the unit than it is necessarily about any one guy. Because you can go back, before Rondell Moore got to Purdue, go back two years, the reason that they beat, they won, uh, beat Iowa in a game they had to win to stay in contention for being bowl eligible. And the reason that they won um, a bowl game against Arizona was not Rondell Moore because he was still in Louisville at that time. It was this guy, Anthony Mahongu, that nobody's ever heard of and nobody still has ever heard of him, except he's like the most famous world player in the history of France, probably, which <laughs> tells you something about him. So, Do they play f- football in France? No. That's why he came <laughs> oh. to Indiana to play football for Purdue. And uh, Well, apparently they do a little bit, but not much. Anyway, I'm just saying that it, it's more about... It's more about, I think, a, a scheme and a and reading play and taking advantage of what a defense is giving you. And I think Ohio State's going to have a lot of guys who can do that in different ways. I think at, at the end of the day, it's going to be more about mixing that around. We're still not even talking about the tight ends. You still you've got someone in um, in, in record that could also be a real weapon out there. Um, whether they're splitting him out, whether they're using him in traditional ways, and and, and other tight ends as well. I just this is going to be. It is going to be more about depth than it is about any one single guy who can go out and burn you. And I think if you use that the right way, it can be just as dangerous. I just think that the same like argument that you're trying to make for this core, you made last year, and it worked out solidly. I'm not saying that one of them is going Being to... throw thrown two by Dwayne I understand Haskins. that. I am not saying that they're going to break records. I am giving them reasonable stat numbers to get. Like Paris Campbell was great because he was really, really fast. 
and some he could take something 70 yards like he did against Michigan every so often. But a lot of it was and, – and Dwayne Haskins was great as well. Yes, he's the greatest throw house he's ever seen. But a lot of that was – I'm going to get it to these athletes on these crossing and these mesh routes, and they're going to take it. And they, that's, that's what they did. It's not crazy to think that K.J. Hill can do that. I think Michigan has better receivers. Somebody asked a question about that. I think Michigan has some really good receivers. Urban uh, mentioned that on uh, the Fox show the other day. I think Rondale Moore is really dangerous. I think J.D. Spielman at Nebraska is really dangerous. I think K.J. Hamler at Penn State is really dangerous. Um they're not, they're not bad. I just don't think their top end is as good as – uh, many other position groups at Ohio State, and I argued all along. Every they're start, and I know I know Terry McLaurin went third in the third round. Um, I feel like there was some there was last year at some point. I think as Dwayne really started getting going, some people were saying like, "Oh, like these receivers are making Dwayne Haskins look good." Paris Campbell and KJ Hill and Johnny Dixon and Terry McLaurin, we and know. I was like. I have watched these receivers catch balls from JT Barrett for two years. Like, it's not them. And it's not that they're bad. But Dwayne Haskins elevated that room last year. And I think Ben Victor, and I think they're all very solid. We saw Michael Thomas coming before Michael Thomas became Michael Thomas. People were very high on Michael Thomas in the middle of his career. You, You saw that coming. Devin Smith was just this guy, was just this absolute deep ball threat. I mean, there, there have been some really good receivers here. Dane Sansenbacher was really good. Devere Posey was really good. I, I just wonder about it, like, in all these things. And everybody's excited about, like, really, what are the who are the receivers that Ohio State fans are most excited about right now? All the guys in the 2020 recruiting class. Yeah. People are ready to talk about Julian Fleming and G. Scott and Jackson Smith and the Jigba and Mookie Cooper. And Julian Fleming is getting triple teamed in national televised games right now. So, like, they're <laughs> fired up and they're fired up about Garrett Wilson, who is a freshman, who I have a bet with somebody that I said he'd catch at least, he'd have at least 600 yards receiving, and I am definitely going to lose that bet. <laughs> I figured out in the course of doing my stats. I was like, oh, man, Garrett Wilson's going to have to have like 25% of Ohio State's receiving yards for me to do that. I just think they might only be pretty good not great which and and i don't think at the moment they're going to have a quarterback who's going to elevate their level the way dwayne haskins made everybody better and i know terry mclaurin had really good plays and i know paris campbell is super duper duper fast for a guy his size but i also don't see a paris campbell exactly not in terms of a game breaker and i think olave kj hill is kj hill he's very good i would take kj hill on my team every day of the week I think Olave has the best chance to be a game-breaker kind of guy this year. But even that dude's only played like four college football games. So is that more of an indictment on who's throwing them the ball than it is them then? It's the same argument of, I don't know who, nah, 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 with the wide receivers. Is that more of an indictment on Dwayne Haskins is just a better thrower than Justin Fields is? Well, I mean, so I said in the thing I wrote, it is like, Wipe Dwayne Haskins from your memory. Right. I'm just saying, like, just, so, like if if the if the yes. argument is the same, and the only difference is the guy throwing them the ball. Well, I mean, but I don't. I wouldn't say it's the only difference. I'm not okay. sure. I see Paris Campbell's speed. Well, no, that's and and I'm not sure as much like Terry McLaurin had been a lot, around a long time. I'm just not sure about Mac and Victor. I just I don't. I've liked Austin Mac since he got here. And and the injury last year was terrible for him, and I felt terrible about that. And I think he's a great dude, 
and I think he's a really talented guy, but I feel like neither Mac nor Victor on like a week after week consistent basis have totally put it together and they're seniors and they've had opportunity and like they've been good. But if you are assuming that this passing attack gets like scary, you're assuming a jump to greatness from guys who have been here for three years and, and haven't made that jump so far. It doesn't mean it can't happen. It means it's part of my greater picture of as you evaluate and think about this Ohio State offense, I just I think they're going to dial back the passing stuff because I think J.K. Dobbins is the best player on the offense. I think at the beginning of the year, Justin Fields will maybe be a better runner than he is a thrower, and they're going to have to grow into this stuff. And if you're going to tell me that Chris Olave is going to be an All-Big Ten receiver, I'll buy it. And that Garrett Wilson's going to get there, but it's going to take some time. True freshmen usually don't go nuts right away. I just think something like I think people when they think about the Ohio State receivers right now would be like, oh, they're awesome. Like, do you feel that, Stephen? That like, there's a, there's a, there's a. Oh, they're so deep, and oh, they have all these guys. Yeah, like, people not, are fired up. Yeah, but there's not like one guy where they would just go, "This guy's gonna be so, this this year." I, I can agree with that. So, like, I'm just saying, like, and this is all gonna lead up to the predictions, and I've been talking about my predicted record for a while, and and leaving open the possibility of changing my mind. But it's just part of the idea again of as we are thinking about who this team really is. Let me run you some numbers. This is the 2017 passing offense, which, again, throw 2018 out the window. K.J. Hill, 56 catches, 549. Paris Campbell, 40 catches, 584. Terry McLaurin, 29 catches, 436. Marcus Baugh, the tight end, 28 catches, 304. Austin Mack, 24 catches, 343. Ben Victor, 23 catches, 349. J.K. Dobbins had 22 catches. Johnny Dixon had 18. C.J. Saunders had 17. Like, it's just... It's fine. It's good. It is not super dangerous. It is not dominating. And, and, and I just think that's where they are. I think they might end up being a run-the-ball defense-first team in 2019, which would be what exactly the opposite of last year when the defense couldn't stop anybody, the run game was inconsistent, and Dwayne Haskins bailed these dudes out week after week with his arm. I just Is that taking a step backwards, though? And We're seeing what's winning a national championship. We saw that. And they took a step in that direction last year. Now, that guy who helped them do that to the max is gone, but that's what's winning a national championship is the vertical passing game. And we just you just went on a whole spiel on how Deshaun Watson showed them that the vertical passing game is what's going to compete at this level. So if we're going to sit here and say, oh, well, it worked last year. They had a, one mishap, but it worked last year. And now this year we're going to take a whole step backwards because we don't really believe in our wide receivers and our running back is just that good. And our five-star quarterback is probably a better runner than a thrower this year, which is all those things can be true. But if that means we're taking a whole step backwards from what's going to eventually compete for a national championship, then, like, what are we doing here? Like, I would view it as a step sideways while their quarterback learns. And I think in 2020, they could take a step forward again and that Justin Fields might throw the ball with anybody. I just don't think it's going to happen immediately in his first year here. And I think in 2020, when Chris Olave is a junior, when Garrett Wilson's a sophomore, when Julian Fleming and all those recruits we just talked about are here and are helping out. Again, the person I talked to today about Ryan Day was just talking about the idea that the thing he likes about Ryan Day is that Ryan Day 
always fits his offense to his personnel. And I think at the moment, I think the personnel might lead to a really effective rushing attack and a passing attack that is a work in progress, that is growing, that is good, but it's not dominant and does not really look much anything like last year. Let's take a quick break. Like we could do a five-hour podcast. I don't know what we're going to do. We could do a five-hour podcast. Nathan has a story. He has to talk to somebody. We have to write. Nobody's eaten yet. We have to get to your questions. We haven't even gotten to the throwing. We haven't even talked about the throwing numbers or the defense. We'll be back on Buckeye Talk. We're back on Buckeye Talk. There will be a day when right then you would have heard an ad for uh, a discount cola, maybe. Like a not Coke, not Pepsi, maybe not RC, but like the next one. Like the fourth best cola on the market could be advertising. So the Buckeye Walmart talk. brand, pretty much. Yeah. That's good. It tastes good. It's all, it's all the same chemicals. All right. Let's run through uh, some of the passing numbers that I predicted. And again, we call this game, Why Doug is So Stupid. Uh, Justin Fields, I said, he will go 247 for 390 for 2,990 yards with 30 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. That is an average game over a 13-game season of 19 for 30 for 230 yards. I said if he throws for 2,990 yards, that would have ranked him 35th in the nation in passing yards last year, and 30 passing touchdowns would have tied him for 10th. So an average game of 19 for 30 for 230 yards. Let's go back again. I think JT Barrett is a decent comparison. The average JT Barrett game... And then and 2015 is JT plus Cardale. 2014, 17 of 26 for 236. 2015, 16 of 25 for 189. Unbelievable. Squander. Squandering talent. 2016, 18 of 29 for 197. 2017, 17 for 27 for 218. That's the Ryan Day. I think that's the most. That was, to me, when I'm thinking about this passing game and the numbers of it, that was the best comparison because it was Ryan Day's one year here without Haskins. So what does a Ryan Day passing offense look like when he doesn't have the best passer in Ohio State history? It's 17 of 27 for 218. So I bumped them up a little bit for that. And again, I landed on 19 for 30 for 230 per game. Does that sound right? Too low, too high. Knowing, like, knowing that Dwayne Haskins threw for 345 oh yards a game God. last year. So I'm predicting Justin Fields 230. <sighs> 345! It's not that's, human! That seems a smidge too high. Um, weren't okay, we just, weren't so we just last week talking about touchdowns and interceptions and we were talking more like in the low 20s with similar number of interceptions? I would just like to state for the record... That whatever I said on previous podcasts has no bearing on my current opinion. <laughs> nope. This is a whole new math that we're dealing with today. I, that, that sounds, I mean, that, that sounds a little optimistic, but again, there's just so much we don't know, having not seen this offense really operate yet, especially against <laughs> the team. There's so much we don't know, considering you still are eating tortillas on a mattress in an apartment that barely has electricity. Correct. Yes, well, and that, and, and I'm like, I'm so, 
I will say I always push back against like everybody's like, I can't wait for college football. And I'm glad fans are like that. Whenever writers are like that, I'm like, I can wait. I like the summer when I did nothing. <laughs> I'm not like our tax preparers like, oh, it's April. I can't wait to work until four o'clock in the morning every night. I'm always like these college football writers who just can't wait for a huge workload. I'm fine. But I'm I am excited because I'm so curious. Because I don't like, I think most of the time when I think I have a vibe for something, I'm totally wrong. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I think I have a handle on this, which means I, they're probably going to come out and J.K. Dobbins is going to get six carries and Justin Fields is going to throw for 600 yards against Florida Atlantic. But how Ryan Day decides to put this together is like super important, like for this season, for what Ryan Day as a head coach is going to be, for what Justin Fields for the next two years is going to mean to college football. Like, they are unveiling something that we don't know. So dramatic. I'm sorry. I was looking at Dwayne Haskins' numbers. I'm, I forgot he threw for five. And your eyes fell out of your head. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, I forgot he threw for 500 yards in a game. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, because I was going to make the point. Well, yeah, he threw. He had an average of 345, but he also threw for, like, 400 yards in, like, the last three games. He, in, like, then, six games. Yeah, yeah like... <laughs> He also 300, yeah. threw for 400 yards That's, half the time. Okay. I, he also had some games where he threw, for 40, threw 44 passes. I don't think Justin Fields is ever going to throw 44 passes in the game this season. 19 for 30 is not crazy for a guy who's also going to run the ball a little bit. And they're going to also use Dobbins a little more. I don't, think thir- I don't think 30 to 35 passes isn't a crazy number. 35 in a situation where you know it's a two-minute drill. In two-minute drill situations, but yeah, thirty is not a crazy number to say he gets to. I mean, ranking ranking thirty-fifth in the nation in passing yards. Think of how many programs are out there that still just chuck it. Chuck they're going to be more. They're going to be even less inclined to run the ball than Ohio State is. Like significantly less inclined to run the ball than Ohio State is. There's probably twenty programs out there just like that. And now factor in how many more come from maybe more balanced offenses but are just more advanced quarterbacks than Justin Fields is right now or maybe have as you were just alluding to more receiving talent than or top end receiving talent than Justin Fields has I I don't know to, to, to rank that high I would think of him more I'm not saying it's far off but I was thinking more like the 26 2700 range for passing for yards. passing yards yeah. yeah and probably still not quite getting the 30 touchdown passes but again, he makes up with so so much of that with his legs. The production will be the same. It's just a matter of how it gets distributed in some ways. Yeah, I mean, I uh, part of it's what they can do and it's what they want to do. And I and I just you know, and again, I think the hard thing is again, we're making like season long predictions. But I do, I am under the belief that like the offense that they roll out for Penn State in game 11 is going to look a lot different than the offense they roll out for Cincinnati in week two. Literally what I was just thinking. Like, the question is, you know, we're talking, boy, things are so uncertain. We don't really know what the vibe is. We don't know what this looks like. Do you think they know? I mean, do you think right now they go, they're go? they going in with a really precise idea of what this offense is right now and how it should attack teams? I think Ryan Day has a precise idea of where he wants it to start and where he wants it to end. And I do think he has a precise idea of how he would like to get there. And I think he probably has an idea of like, we're going to run it like this early on. And again, he's the guy who's talked about the segmented season, six games and then your first bye. You know, the first six games, I mean, it could be one of those things where the first six games, Justin Fields averages 21 passes per game. And the last six games, he averages 32 passes per game. You know, that they really 
evolve. And so every team evolves, and everybody's like, oh, everybody's always better in November. I get it. The defenses are better too. But I do think m- more than many seasons, this offense could twist by the time. Because that's, and you're going to have to win games late in the year because. The first six games, you have Cincinnati, Nebraska, and Michigan State. Michigan State's the sixth game. But those are like, you have three kind of easy ones. No offense to Indiana. But three kind of easy ones, and then you have um, three tougher ones. But then in the back half of the schedule, you got Wisconsin in the back half. you got Penn State in the back half. you got Michigan in the back half. you got like a sneaky little Maryland team that like Josh Jackson is like a real dude who just won the starting job as a transfer from Virginia Tech. Like... You know, you got Rutgers in there, and they stink. You got Northwestern in the second half. Like, you have a lot of stuff that I think you're going to have to evolve because if you think, well, we'll just run over some people with JK early, I don't know if you can just, like, run over Wisconsin and run over Penn State. You're going to have to threaten, as you made the point, the idea of, like, well, don't you have to throw it down the field to win? I think you do. But I also think it's just not maybe what they're going to do best, which is which is why, again, we're going to get to our records very shortly – but I'm, just, I'm not going to run through. Go read it. Go read it. We still were writers. We're writers. Talking is easier. Writing is hard. It takes me eight hours. It took me eight hours to write this. Go read it. Nobody read it. I write about the Browns. I write about, If I said Baker Mayfield shaved, shaved his armpits, I'd get ten times the number of people who read my thoroughly made-up stats. Do you know how long it takes to make up stats? Yeah. I'll, I'll read a couple receiver statistical things, and you guys say... Uh, higher, lower, or Dougie or genius. KJ Hill, 56 catches for 560 yards. Leading the team, not in receiving yards, but in catches. So 10 yards a catch, pretty much. 10 yards a catch. That, that sounds reasonable. That sounds about right. And the, and the interesting thing will be all 56 catches will be for exactly 10 <laughs> yards. I'm going to go higher. You think he'll be sixty in the 60s? More productive because yeah. he had more last year, but like two years ago in seventeen, he led the team in catches yeah. with like that number of catches. Especially because I think Fields is going to lean on that a little bit more early on, so he'll maybe get more catches than maybe he should. Just because like there's your that's your most experienced guy. He might be the the, the safety valve yeah. the guy you feel confident in every Whereas, time you get when all else yeah. fails, just find fourteen. He he had seventy catches for eight eighty five last year when he was second on the team, but in 2017, he had 56 catches to lead the team, which is part of why I landed on 56 again for 549. So basically I'm predicting him to duplicate the year he had when he was catching balls from JT Barrett instead of uh, from Dwayne Haskins. Here's a terrible segue. If he were averaging exactly 10 yards a carry or 10 yards a catch, how far into the season would they have to go before they decided to just start throwing it to him every single play because he would have to get a first down. Like they would at some point you would have to test that theory, right? Yeah. That he, right. He has to get a first down every time he catches. But then he gets no. But the problem is what if you're like on like the eleven yard line and you need to score and you throw him right. the ball and then he falls. Right. Or, or, or you or you drop back and get sacked and now you can't just throw to him because you need more than ten yards. Yeah. Right. Or they start like quadruple teaming him like right at the first down marker. <laughs> well, wouldn't you just like do some kind of max protect offense and throw to him? And I don't know. Like, he, yeah. he always gets ten yards. And but then then it's like Ryan. The fact that KJ Hill, every one of his receptions this year has been for ten yards. Does that really open up the deep passing game? Because the defenses have to uh, defend the ten yard throw so much. But then he would be like, "Well, why would I do that when we get to throw to him ten yeah, times? He gets all the way down the field." 
Hypothetically, Ryan, if you could get 10 yards of play every single play, would you take it? This is a ludicrous tangent, but it's like my little homage to um, Effectively Wild, the baseball podcast. If anybody ever listens to that, they always come up with those crazy theories like, well, if there was a batter who did this, like how long before a team would just decide to do this with him? Like, that kind of thing. So, Oh, I'm in favor of this. We can add that segment. It's it's, it's a fun little like, like crazy thing. So but, people need to send us those kind of questions. But, yeah. and we can... but the alternative needs to be either you get the 10 yards or you get nothing. Every time. Yeah, oh, that's because it would just be incomplete. No, or... no, no. Like, it's like... Say he catches a screen pass. Oh, if he gets six yards, you, you get it back at the ah, line of scrimmage. You go back. You got to oh, go back. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, because the flip side of it is how long would opposing defenses adjust and just never let him have the ball because he was That's always the... getting 10 yards. Right. Right. But then again, right. But then again, that might open up the 80-yard pass. Yeah. Right. Chris Olave, 46 catches, 650 yards. That is second on the team in number of catches, the most receiving yards. So, so he's your deep threat. And, and it's it's a little confusing. So it does seem like um, Victor and Wilson are on the side where they're going to be more like the one-on-one matchups and that, that Mac and Olave will be playing on the, in the Z receiver, which theoretically is a little more of the deep threat, is more what Johnny Dixon and Terry McLaurin did down the field last year. So I guess, again, things can, you know, anybody can do anything, but that would be maybe, yes, he might be... I think on the list of receivers, the guy who has the best chance to be the most productively consistent downfield receiver. Question I should have asked before we started. Is this 12 games, 14 games? Everything is thir- – I went by 13, 13 games, okay. which is not making the Big Ten Championship and making a bowl, which, okay. again, is telling you something about my prediction. <laughs> um, so it's just, it's so hard in college football because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like – I mean, they're certainly not going to play 12 games. They're going to play at least 13. They could play 14, but they haven't – you know. They've played 14 the last couple of years. They've also played 13 a lot. So um, let's 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 get to the guy everyone's talking about. I have Garrett Wilson, 25 catches, which is fourth on the team behind Hill, Olave, and Mack for 420 yards. Again, my bet is for 600, and the guy said, do you want to go double or nothing on, like, something else? And I was like, no, I'm just going to take you to Chili's once. But, like, I – and I didn't want to give up on the bet because I don't – I don't think like 600 – like it would be like maybe the best freshman receiving season in like Ohio State history. But if he's awesome – and again, what I said about the receivers, I think if he's awesome, if he's Michael Thomas but he's just a freshman and he's coming along but he's going to be a first-round draft pick in two years, in three years, then I think that might be out there. It's just hard to maybe predict that. But does that, the idea of 25 catches for 420 yards for Garrett Wilson, does that seem high, low, or good? That seems like the ceiling to me in a little bit, especially in terms of yardage. Uh, Only because they have said they're going to spread it around this much. Like nobody, I mean, really, no matter who emerges, I don't think they're going to get a ton more targets. Um, At least early on this year, they have said, they, they have stated they want. All six of those guys rotating the way that they've done it. So that sort of does put a ceiling on any one player's production. And kind of goes back to what I was saying before, that it's really more about what the unit um, compiles than it is about any one player breaking out numbers-wise. I agree with this one spot on. Okay. And again, that's 25 for 420. Mm-hmm. As a comparison, Terry McLaurin in 2017 catching from JT Barrett, I mean, he was he was a fourth year junior then. 
But Terry McLaurin had 29 for 436. Yeah. So it's like, can Garrett Wilson as a freshman be as good as Terry McLaurin was as a junior? And, and, and I like Terry McLaurin, but I don't think Terry McLaurin is great. And I think Garrett Wilson might end up being great. So like to me, if that's your comparison, it's like, well, yeah, I think it, I think it could do that. The, the thing... It's starting to sound a little high to me then, actually, if you ex- explain it like that. Only because I think McLaurin at that stage of his career probably a more consistent player as opposed to I think you're going to see ups and downs from Wilson, yeah, as you that, will from any freshman. You're going to have – there's going to be a couple games this year where he really – like he puts together a couple of really big gains and then other games where he's almost uh, invisible. Yeah, but that's a talent versus experience type of thing right there. And I think in that situation, talent wins out. Um, just to like throw this out there – the only one I really disagree with is the J.K. Dobbins, Demario McCall one. You have J.K. Dobbins with 14 catches for 82 yards and Demario McCall with 11 catches for 82 yards. I think Demario McCall is going to have a lot more catches than J.K. Dobbins this year. Just because in third down passing situations, why not get Dobbins a little bit of rest and throw Demario McCall out there? It's – I'll tell you what, brother. <laughs> when you, it's like I, I said, okay, this is how many completions Justin Fields is going to have. And then I gave a couple to the backup quarterbacks. And then you start going through. I went through that thing for like an hour and a half because it's like, uh, like everybody seemed low. Like I just went through first and did like, this is what I think. And then I added it up and I was like, I have like 91 too many completions yeah. compared to what I had, how I think the offense is going to work. Because that's the thing with this team. It's like, do you think Jeremy Ruckert's going to be pretty good and do some stuff? Yeah. Do you think DeMario's going to be pretty good and do some stuff? Yeah. Do you think Garrett Wilson's going to be pretty good and do some stuff? Yeah. Do you think Mac and Victor are solid veterans who are going to get their share right. of things? This, this yeah. Is, is Olave going to break out? Yeah. Is Rashad Barry and Luke Farrell as your second and third tight ends going to do some things in the red zone at times and catch some passes? Yeah. And it's like, okay. Are you going to have 14 different guys catch 20 balls? Something has to give somewhere. And there's going to be a guy that, like, everybody's excited about. Because if you can go through the pass catchers, you can – people – Jalen Gill. Jalen Gill's a top 25 national recruit. And we don't know if he's even going to be on the rotation over a tight end. People are excited about so many different guys. There has to be somebody who ends up not doing what people thought because there's no way that everybody – can reach the ceiling that people think they might have. But this is my point that you don't nec- in this scenario. Then you don't necessarily need a a Megatron or a other great receiver. I don't know, Justin Blackman or Jerry Judy. Paul right Warfield. Now. Like you don't need a, a, a phenomenal first round All Big Ten All American kind of talent. If you can take, if you're putting eight guys, including those tight ends, on the field every game, you've just got to find the one that that game has a significant advantage over your opponent at that opposing position right and it may may not be a receiver one week it may be one of those tight ends that can really kill somebody or it may be the h-backs week it may be um the x receivers one week and the z receiver you know that you can move it around it's just got to be finding the one guy that you could really exploit in a given matchup and it's gonna it could probably change from week to week all i'm saying is i would take some of the catches that from the list and the numbers you have I would take those catches from J.K. and give them to DeMario just because of how they're going to use them. It's hard, and there are – I mean, like, running backs get dump-offs, you know, and yeah. stuff that, 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 like – I think J.K. – I mean, I think J.K.'s had – J.K.'s had, like, 20 catches a year. So I'm already – J.K. had 22 catches as a freshman. And 26 last year. And 26 last year, and I have a 10. It's like I already – I'm already – I yeah, cut J.K.'s that's... receiving in half to wedge myself into my own – the box of my own making. Yeah. I'm wedged. Yeah, you definitely gave the tight end some love. 
And, and but if you look, Kevin if you Wilson look, you. The, the the tight ends, as I explained, my tight end totals. Um, I have the tight end totals as forty catches for four thirty, which is for a, the top three guys. Yeah. Last year, the top three tight ends had thirty catches for two ninety six. So it's like we've talked about the tight ends so much. Do you think as a group they'll have ten more catches? That's not even one more catch per game. Do you think they'll have hundred and thirty more yards receiving? Even that's not that much of an uptick. Because here's the problem. I have them completing 131 fewer passes than last year. And when you take 131 receptions out of an offense and try to distribute it through 15 guys, (laughs) you slice everybody's numbers in half. So I think that is a world. And maybe I went too far, but yet when I I said that, my Justin Fields passing numbers, you thought maybe were still a little bit too high. And that's 131 sliced off Dwayne Haskins' completions. So, again, it is just a reminder of we cannot live in the Dwayne Haskins world. Because if you at any point try to compare this passing game to last year's passing game, you will drive yourself crazy. And it's not that this passing game is going to be bad. It's just that it's not going to be run by the greatest thrower in Ohio State history. Nathan has a job to do. We'll be back after this on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. Nathan just had a really good interview that's going to lead to a really good story that you could read on Thursday on Cleveland.com. I have no idea how we're going to squeeze all this stuff in. I was just writing down something for my uh, Ohio State talent theory, which I also would like to trot out at some point tonight. Let's get to records, though. That's what the people are here for. They want to hear our record predictions. We're going to do record predictions, talent theory, questions from you guys. Nathan... We'll start with you, Grimacing. Ohio State in a 12-game regular season will finish with what record? Yeah, I'm glad you're starting with me since I'm the one who's in the least advantageous position to give a really informed opinion on this. However, I, I did you know break this down. I was looking at kind of the game-by-game situation, and and you know Steve and I were talking about this on the way over here. It's like you think that there's this talent all over the field. You think there's depth all over the field, but then you start asking yourself like, because I and I because I, I genuinely feel there's a a world here where Ohio State can go twelve and zero this year. I think you've talked about that before when you've been talking about kind of your own predictions. Like it's not outside the realm of possibility that this is a team that wins the Big Ten outright and goes to the playoff. Um, but is this a is this a national championship caliber offensive line? Is this a national championship caliber? defense with with a linebacker unit that still has some questions it has to answer um is this a is is jk dobbins for real is justin fields ready to step up and take this team to that kind of level and and have that kind of season i just there are enough questions out there that and and then based on let's just see what we've seen from Ohio state the last couple of years where they tend to um, go on the road and stub their toe at some point. Do we? Is there enough here that you think that that's not a, a potential outcome for this team? Um, is this the year where Michigan has just pulled ahead of them just enough to win that game in its home stadium? Uh, so ultimately, the the number that I landed on was ten and two. Uh, I think that they lose one of those road games either at Nebraska or maybe at Northwestern. I think that's just a really intriguing game for a lot of reasons. And I have them losing the game at Michigan. So now you're missing out on um, most likely in that scenario, unless um, 
unless things really went haywire for the Wolverines, you're missing out on a chance to go to the Big Ten Championship game for the first time in um, a while. Um, but the Since they made two, the playoff in 2016. 10-2 yeah, and two is the number that I landed on. 10-2 and two for Nathan Baird. Steven Means. I'm going to go 11-1, and 8-1 in the conference. Uh, they play, I think, five, if I'm not mistaken, com- conference games that are against ranked opponents this year. I think one of those is going to be a loss. Um, I'm not going to say which one yet. I'll wait until – you guys have to wait until you read the post to see which one. Oh, so we're doing a post on Thursday. Yeah. That's also going to include this. So Steven is teasing that story where yeah. we will explain our predicted records even more. Yeah, now that way you have to click on it. I didn't know we could tease. It would have given me a couple more days to figure out exactly. But I'm, I'll stick by mine. I think I'm pretty set on mine. You can do what you want, man. <laughs> but yeah, I think 11 and 1. I think they lose. I think the season is going to go a little bit how it did last year, where that there's going to be a, a, a bad loss, at, I think, at some point in the season. Um, so yeah, 11 and 1. That loss kind of jump hope ton of yeah. I'm sorry, jump starts the rest of the season though, and they do get to the Big Ten championship. They do get to the Big Ten championship. Yeah, I think they do. All right, so I have been talking about their record for months, and you guys know that I said nine and three in July when we did the Big Ten preseason media poll here at Cleveland.com, and I went through every single game in the Big Ten, and that's what I came up with, and I reserve the right to change my mind. Uh, based on what we saw and learned during the preseason. I have not changed my mind. I still think it's 9-3. and three. I still think the losses are Nebraska and Michigan and then something else. I said Wisconsin. I'll stick to that. I think uh, Wisconsin, Noodle Arm, podcast favorite Noodle Arm, uh, <laughs> Alex Hornibrook, who transferred to Florida State, did not win the starting job at uh, Florida State. But... Some other dude, I don't know. How am I supposed to keep track of the Wisconsin quarterback? I think Graham Mertz is the guy at Wisconsin who is, uh, he's like the freshman that everybody liked that Ohio State tried to get back in on late, and and he's stuck by Wisconsin. I I think we could see a situation. I said maybe he could be the Trevor Lawrence of the Big Ten, which means he'll be like one-third as good as Trevor Lawrence. But I think maybe there's a chance that he could be starting by the time uh, Wisconsin plays Ohio State in the, the middle of the season. But whether it's Penn State before the Michigan game or Michigan State or Wisconsin or Northwestern, which is part of the point, how many seasons can you list six games that they could lose? And then you throw in the dreaded game that you don't see coming. So, like, I, I just think, and, and here's where I've, where I've come around on this. And I think part of the negative reaction to a 9-3 and three prediction is that when Ohio State has lost lately, they've lost in horrific fashion. Yeah. Ohio State fans don't know what a good old-fashioned, like, good loss looks like anymore. Yeah, 27-24. Like, you play well. Game. Right, right. That is, I think, the most foreign concept to Ohio State fans right now is playing well in defeat. Gosh. Well, and that's and that's exactly that what down. could happen in a situation like the Michigan game. You could go up and it could be like a classic 
amazing game, like, you know, one of those that everybody from this generation of fans tells their kids about someday. That's a bad example because any I know any loss to Michigan is going to not sit well, but you Let know what I'm saying. Let me tell you about the time that Jim Harbaugh broke my heart. Oh, it's a tale. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, you can yeah. go up and no, play. for real. It, 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 you, can, you can play well and lose, and that's something that, that even us in the, in the media that, that cover these games, probably sometimes we can lose perspective on sometimes. You can sometimes play a really good game and just not win. So, because, now for real. Winner's privilege. When is the last, so, okay. So let's go through very, very quickly. I'm not going to look it up. I'm going to make myself remember. So last year, blown off the field at Purdue. Horrible. Makes you feel terrible. 2017, blown off the field at Iowa. Horrible. Makes you feel terrible. Oklahoma comes in here. Baker Mayfield literally stabs the field with a flag. But it was in a way that it like I, people didn't come out of that game saying like, well, we played great and Baker Mayfield just was too good for us. It was like, oh my God, we don't have somebody like that. Like it... It wasn't a bad loss because Oklahoma was awesome that year. Oklahoma should have played for the national championship. They blew the game to Georgia. But, like, Ohio State just looked outclassed that day, right? So 2015 – so, okay, so 2016, the loss is the Penn State punt block like or kick block. They're trying to get the kick on the field late, and it's like, how do you make a special teams goof up like that? Mm-hmm and blow it, and they back into the playoff by not making the Big Ten championship game. But that was like, Penn State was good. They lost to the team that won the Big Ten, and it was on the road. So it was like an excusable loss, but it was like on a goofy special teams play that you were like, oh, how did that happen? Well, yeah, and, it, and going back to what I said, like you can play great, but <coughs> and this is where, it's where it comes in from a from media standpoint. Usually what you end up writing about that game is still the three plays that decided the game, which probably didn't go the way of the team that lost the game. So, but, but 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 there was like an Ohio State like mistake. Like they rushed the kick, they missed the block, and and it's a punt yeah, block. It wasn't like we scored, they scored, we scored, they scored. We got stopped just short of a first down. They scored, we lost. Right. You know what I mean? So so that's 2015. So 2000 that's 2016. 2015 is you're the best team in the country. You can never figure out an offense all year. You blow it against Michigan State, and you leave that field feeling like feeling like we are three times as good of a team. Again, Michigan State made the playoff that that year, but Ohio State left that field knowing they were better than Michigan State and felt terrible about that loss. Also squeezed in there was when Clemson blew you off the field, and people the, a 31 nothing loss in the playoff in 2016 that was so bad people would have wished they didn't make the playoff. The Virginia Tech loss, the Virginia Tech loss actually wound up being understandable, but it was like the Reese Davis dubbed it the albatross that hung around their neck, right, all season. It was weird. They they played the bear defense. The bear defense was like rocket science. Nobody could figure it out. And you left that game feeling like, oh, what is wrong with these guys? And then like, they got it all together, and it was great. But in that moment, that loss felt weird and terrible. 2013, they're undefeated, so they lose the bowl game. That actually was the last one. That might be the one, because they lose the Big Ten championship game to Michigan State that everybody thought they were going to win. And in 2012, they went undefeated. 2013, the bowl game loss to Clemson was sort of like, dude, Clemson's good. (laughs) Like, Clemson has like 11 NFL receivers. I don't know what the heck we were supposed to do. They finally started Von Bell. That was a plus. But, man, it didn't matter. Like, we couldn't stop those guys. I think that might have been the only loss of the Urban Meyer era where you were like, well, better team beat us. So you don't know what that is. But here's a secret, Ohio State fans. That's college football. 
all. Yeah, everybody. We played well and lost to a better team. You know what that's called? That's called everybody who played Ohio State for the last 25 years. Yeah, as I say, most of college football actually is we, we played as well as we could, and Ohio State still left... Uh, 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 whatever up our, our you know our up our packs the the you trend marks. skid marks the trend marks yeah I started to say skid marks SMA, I wasn't right with the SMH the SMH oh the SMH man marks. Uh, yeah I mean that's yeah, yeah so uh, I understand that they, you know that that does kind of color fans perspective but again I think and, and that kind of takes me to my other point which is that the difference between twelve and zero and ten and two sometimes. It's a gulf in, in how you look back at a season, how you judge a season in retrospect. But in the moment, that can be a very, very short, a very, very small margin between yeah. twelve and zero and ten and two. So, so, so I, so my nine and three includes no blown off the field, embarrassed losses. It, inc- it, it really, I said you're leaving open the possibility of the, of the loss you don't see coming. I'm, that's not one of my losses. My losses are like. You play well. Like, I'm assuming that Ohio State plays pretty well 12 straight weeks. But in three of those 12 weeks, in a world where sick, there are six games you could lose. And I know people have said, I'm going to sum people the heck out of this discussion. Because I got some people like a mamma jamma today on another podcast. And you know who you are! <laughs> Ari and Bill started a podcast. Here's the deal. You are allowed to listen. I can't tell you what to do. You have free will. But if you listen to their podcast and as a result, stop listening to our podcast, I will send a robot to your house to murder you. You can do what you want as long as you keep listening to Buckeye Talk. I think you should listen to both. There's a lot of time in a week. Don't abandon us. But on their podcast, they kept saying some people think that they're going to go 9-3 and three because Justin Fields isn't ready. And I said to them, I heard you some people me. And they said, no, we weren't some peopling you. We were some peopling someone else. However, we understand in listening to ourselves how you might believe that we were some peopling you. Because as far as I know, I'm the only person in the world predicting them to go 9-3 and three, or the only person that matters predicting them to go 9-3. and three. So I'm still at 9-3 and three with three very solid, encouraging losses. One of them's to Michigan. Michigan, and you don't believe there's such a thing as a good loss to Michigan. I get that. But you're not going to get blown off the field. I think you're going to go tooth and nail at Michigan with a good Michigan team and barely lose. I think you're going to walk away from the Nebraska, the Nebraska game and say, we just lost to the best player in the Big Ten. Because that's what I think Adrian Martinez is going to be. And I think one other time along the path, a top 25 team, whether it's Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan State, Northwestern, somebody is going to get you. Maybe on that day you're not quite at your best and you'll walk away from that game saying like, oh, I can't believe we lost that one. I don't think you're going to lose it 42-10. to 10. I don't think you're going to be chasing Rondale Moore across the field in the second half and missing seven tackles on one play. I don't think you're going to be throwing three interceptions to Josh Jackson. I think you will lose like a normal football team, which Ohio State has forgotten how to do, which is why every time I say nine and three, you get a knot in your stomach. Get ready for good, solid losses. Ohio State suffers from winner's privilege. Well, but they do. Maybe, but I also think that this is a, again, from the perspective of someone who was at one of, who has been covering one of those 
just normal programs in to, to use kind of the parlance that we're talking about here that's not what Ohio State's supposed to be it's not just a, it's not just privilege it's you know this is what you know this is why a hundred thousand some fans show up as opposed to like 50 or 60 this is why the um the coach gets paid the way he gets paid and this is why um the the athletic department puts the resources into this football program that other people don't necessarily put in i mean this it's supposed to be another level nine and three is supposed to be is supposed to be a a a fallback it's supposed to be a it's supposed to be kind of like where you bottom out at almost at this level if you're talking about anything worse than nine and three then something is supposed to have gone significantly wrong because you're supposed to be you're supposed to have an edge over against against these teams are playing i understand that in in the greater context but i will say it's kind of like what i said the other day um or last week when we were kind of talking about this it's like you know what's great about what makes part of what makes college football great is when a team like ohio state loses that's a hard thing to hear as a fan um because but 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 get over it because still (laughs) multiple times in your life more than multiple times in your life you're going to be you're going to see your team play for a national championship you're going to see your team potentially go undefeated and that's the thing that a lot of people by birthright or by choice this the school that they end up following don't get to say that you're going to get to say that you're going to have to also take a few of those you know um opponents storming the fields along the way so one thing, and you referenced this, you, you said it, and, and and some people on the other podcast said the same thing of like, you know, you get paid paid for this, right? This is, Ryan Day is this, like the 18th highest paid coach in the country. So frankly, you know, okay, he's, not, but, he's not getting paid to go 12-0. and 0, He's getting paid to go 9-3 and 3 every now and then. Okay, but that, no. that, that, that that's not it. That, go look at what their no. go look at what all their assistants are getting paid relative to other assistants. I mean, some part of that is because Ryan Day is a first-year head coach. Go back to what Arvin Meyer was getting paid, and you've got a very different... No, I know, I know, I agree, but also, but so, but that's but that's exactly the point. He's not Urban Meyer. He's your first year head coach. So if yes. he's not making seven and a half million, he's only making four and a half million because he's not Urban Meyer yet. Then I'm gonna give him a nine and three on his way to becoming Urban Meyer. And some people on some podcasts said that if they don't make the playoff, like it's a failure. To which, as I brushed my teeth and listened to my phone on my counter this morning, I screamed at the phone that Urban Meyer's been a failure the last three years. I do not know how we can be in a world where your your level of expectation and judgment on Ryan Day is playoff or bust. Then they're busted, brother. Well, the other thing you remember is, again, it's it's hard to make the playoff. I it's know. really hard to make the playoff. Like we were another thing that we're doing, another prediction we're doing this week is which four teams make the make the college football playoff this week. And it was tough to cut down from there's three that I thought were like we won't stray into this. We can save this for another time. There's three that I thought were locks, but then I had like another four or five schools, four or five teams that I thought were plausibly you could make a strong case for that fourth spot. Um it, it's not easy to make the playoff. It's really tough to to sidestep all the landmines that you have to sidestep to to be in position to to get the magic formula that gets you in. I've got two locks right now. I'm not going to go as far as there's three locks yet. I'm just going to say two for now. But first, I'm also going to say there's going to be this is going to be some podcast beef going on real soon. Though. Oh you god, can we there. start a podcast war? <laughs> friendly, a... friendly. Oh, the yeah. kind of podcast war that makes you want to listen to both podcasts. Yeah. Again, not leaving this podcast, but enjoying the war between podcasts. Yes. I don't think that 
nine and three is a stretch, and I'm I'm going to stick to that. I understand why you're coming to that conclusion, but I do think nine and three is still a stretch because, yes, you have a first year head coach, yes, you have a first year quarterback, and all these other things, but there's still a lot of there's enough talent that nine and three should be a disappointing season. Like that shouldn't be like a reasonable thing yet. I just and like I I would be yeah, we can say this because again we're over we're over we're going six hours I don't know what to tell you I, I am very interested in like words like disappointing and failure and and the 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 way we discuss expectations I think is not as interesting as the way we discuss like whether they should play twelve personnel or eleven personnel or is Austin Mack playing the X or the Z and you know we want to talk about football on this podcast but. But I am very – and we'll get a better feel for this once we get rolling a little bit. And if anything that I am saying comes true, then we're going to have some conversations like this because there is – this is going to be a different feeling. Not since 2004. Again, again, 2004, Ohio State wins the national championship in 2002. They come back with much the same team in 2003. They're, they're basically a national championship contender all year. Um, they have a good season. And then 2004, they completely reset. They lose to Northwestern. They lose to Iowa. They go eight and four overall, and they completely reset. And that was the year, the last year I didn't cover them. So I don't really know what people felt like in this in the moment. I know what it felt like the next year when it was like we're going to kill Northwestern because we're so mad we lost to them last year. We're going to kill Iowa because we're so mad we lost to them last year. They came back with a vengeance. Two thousand five. They were clearly one of the four best teams in the country. If there had been a playoff back then, they would have made it. And in 2006 and in 2007, they played for the national championship. So again, my nine and three comes within the context of there is no such thing as a rebuilding year at Ohio State. But I don't think Ryan Day is going to go nine and three every year. I think like Justin Fields is going to figure it out. They're going to lose Jeffrey Okuda. They're going to lose Chase Young. They're going to have to fill in with dudes. I get that. But I think Justin Fields is going to be chucking the ball all over the place to Olave and Wilson and Fleming next year. And like in 2020, I think they might make the playoff. I just think it's not going to happen right now. Well, the other thing, again, if you're judging whether a season was a success or a failure, it, it's record, but it's how did that record happen? You touched on this a little bit earlier, and I think if you, what really kind of hangs, what leaves a bad taste in Ohio State fans' mouth about the last two years about missing the playoff, it's because it didn't happen because they lost to Michigan in the last game. It didn't happen because they lost to a Penn State team that had suddenly risen up and become one of the best in the country or something like that. It happened because they lost to Purdue and, and Iowa. I know those games are on the road. I don't think you can take for granted that they're going to win those games, and I, I don't think those losses are as bad from my perspective on the outside as, as, as you know, to an Ohio State fan. But I understand that they're saying, we did everything that an Eastern Conference power is supposed to, or Eastern Division power is supposed to do to get that spot, and then something the completely unexpected loss that you're talking right. about is what is what kind of undoes that and, and prevents them from having the ultimate season that they could have had. So I, I understand that. I think it's it that's why you have to look kind of within the loss. If you lose to, you know, a really good Nebraska team on the road, if you lose to a really good Michigan team on the road, and maybe you have one other home loss, that's why I don't think nine and three is, is necessarily a disaster. Again, looking at it from not from the the emotional side as a fan, but from just kind of the the analytical side. It will be the best three loss season that includes a loss to Michigan that Ohio State fans could ever ask for. <laughs> see, the when you say it like that, Ohio State Buckeyes. When you say it like that, it does sound being average in a completely positive fashion, not average again. But like everyone's saying, like 
that would be bottoming out. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, like, right? That, like, I agree. I'm not predicting to go nine and five. I mean, seven and five. I'm predicting nine and three, like, as a worst case scenario. I'm not, I'm like, I'm not stuck between like 11 and one and seven and five, and I landed on nine and three. I'm stuck on like between nine and three and 11 and one, and I stuck with nine and three. This is the worst it could go. And it is a tribute to Ohio State that the worst they could be is nine and three. But I also think it makes sense. Like, well, what would Ohio State look like bottoming out? It's like, oh, I don't know, with a first-year coach and a first-year quarterback after you lost the one of the best five coaches in college football history and the best thrower ever? Maybe that's when you would bottom out? Is that possible? Yes! All right. Okay. I want to do the talent thing. I'm so into the talent thing. I discovered it at McDonald's this morning, and I looked it up while Nathan was doing his story, but we should probably should get to questions. I want to do it really quick. I found a link. I found the link. We had a, we've, we discussed it this summer. What is the link between the Purdue loss and the Iowa loss? Again, this comes from some podcast that some people might listen to because I was listening to them and I was writing down ideas. Thanks, fellas. You know, the longer that we make this podcast, the less time people have to listen to the other podcasts. <sighs> I don't have to go to bed tonight. That's just another call for more tech subscribers and more questions from said tech subscribers. We've never done a three-hour podcast yet. The link between the Purdue loss and the Iowa loss, because Ari is very big on He's five-star Ari. He believes in talent, talent, talent. And I agree with that, of course. Talent always wins. The Purdue loss and the Iowa loss, in both of those games, Purdue and Iowa found a way to exploit their NFL talent where Ohio State maybe did not have equal talent. Josh Jackson, an NFL corner, he got picked in the second round, intercepted JT Barrett, not an NFL quarterback, three times. Noah Fant, an NFL tight end, was he late first round or did he go in the in the uh, second round? Okay. Noah Fant, NFL tight end, who was playing against not NFL linebackers in that game, had two touchdown receptions for Iowa. So in that moment... Iowa, you think, well, how could Ohio State lose to Iowa? Ohio State has more talent. Iowa found the the matchups where they had more talent. Ohio State lost to more talent at the most important matchups that determined the game. Also, one of Ohio State's NFL talents, Nick Bosa, got kicked out of that game. But Nate Stanley, who Brian Ferentz wants to punch me in the face over because I didn't think Nate Stanley was that good. People think Nate Stanley's an NFL quarterback, possibly. He probably played the best game of his career to that point in that game. To go back a little bit farther, 2015 Indiana, the game that I famously predicted, famously in my own mind, predicted Ohio State to lose at Indiana, and everybody thought it was nuts. And the game came down to Indiana throwing a pass into the end zone on the final play of the game that would have tied it. I remember listening to that game on the way back from uh, uh, whatever Purdue game I was covering. It was a night game, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know what Indiana had that day? An NFL quarterback. Nate Sudfeld is the backup for the Eagles. His body exploded, so they had to get Josh McCown back. But, like, he's an NFL quarterback. Guess what Rondale Moore is? An NFL receiver. And there, and Ohio State's defense was not playing like an NFL defense last year. Now, Sean Wade was playing a lot of slack corner. I think Sean Wade's an NFL corner. But I'm just saying, they found ways to get Rondale Moore matched up, and they took advantage of their best talent, right? So... When Ohio, those losses aren't just like, how could we lose to a less talented team? In 2009, when Ohio State lost at Purdue, nobody knew who Ryan Kerrigan was before oh, that yeah. game. Ryan yeah. Kerrigan introduced himself to the world in that game, I was there for that game and too. a year later was a first-round draft pick. He was eating 
he was eating people alive that he day. was the best player on the field no that question. day so it's Ohio State always has the better depth of talent but as you look for the games that you don't see coming for the future maybe we should have been doing it for the last 10 years and I didn't realize it find the teams by the way Maryland last year, that Anthony McFarland yeah. dude who ran all over them and ran like every time he hit, he like averaged 90 yards a carry. I think that guy's going to be an NFL back. Yeah. Find the teams who have NFL guys at a couple spots where they maybe can take advantage of the matchups. They do not have the depth of talent because nobody in the Big Ten does. And this is not exactly the same, but you know who I think like it's, it's harder on this schedule to find that. So this isn't exactly it, but you know who I think fits it? Adrian Martinez. Yeah. Like, in two years from now, mm-hmm. when, like, Adrian Martinez, like, wins the Heisman, and it's like, wow, I didn't see that coming. He really, he didn't, he started showing it when he ripped Ohio State apart in week five in 2019. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying Nebraska has better players across the ball. I mean, a- across one through 22. I'm saying they can find some matchups. That's all. And then I wanted to do this because people have been talking about this Bud Elliott blue chip thing. I think it's on, I don't know where it is. You, you Google Bud Elliott Blue Chip. He does a rating, and the rating officially is the number of four and five star recruits you have compared to the number of two and three star recruits you have. And Ohio State this year is at 81%. That's their, their ratio. That's higher than anybody in the country. They have more a higher ratio of four and five stars to two and three stars than anybody. Which, if you paid attention to the 17 and 18 class, of course. Here are Ohio State's projected starters. Because there is one thing, this is my other thing, there's one thing to have talent on the roster, there's another thing to play it. There's an, and, and, it and it's not just talent on the roster, it was projected talent a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. It's not necessarily a measure of what that talent is today. Right. So, I'm just going to read this and just tell me if anything about this surprises you or if this sounds right. Because my point is... At the moment, Ohio State has a lot of top 50 national recruits who I'm not sure when they're going to see the field or how they're going to see the field. Now, part of the reason is because they have so many, they can't all play. But for every Jeff Okuda and Chase Young, there are a lot of guys who would help Ohio State's rating in a blue chip index that are not actually going to help them on the field that much right now. For instance, a guy who was the number 543 recruit in the country just beat out a guy at right tackle who was like the number eight recruit in the country. So Nicholas Petit Frere is jacking up Ohio State's rating on the Bud Elliott Blue Chip Index. But he didn't beat out Brandon Bowen. And Brandon Bowen didn't do squat for their Blue Chip Index. And I understand that's how it works. But it's when, it's when you decide to analyze teams based on their recruiting stars. I think Ohio State, right this very second, is in a little bit of a weird spot in that they have a lot of re- they have a lot of recruiting talent on this team that still has not yet broken through, which again is why I don't look at Ohio State and say they have the highest blue chip ratio at eighty one percent and say twelve and zero because some of those guys aren't there yet. Okay, this is the defensive side of the ball, the eleven projected starters. This is what their recruit ranking was coming. We're going to go six hours. Ranking relative to their position. Ranking overall in the country. Okay. The so, number oh, of the okay. overall number player, according to 247 Sports Composite Rating. Gotcha. Okay. I'm not going to say their class because it's just about their rating. Ready? 7, 8, 17, 33, 95. 134, 277, 324, 653, 683, 998. 
So there are five guys in the who were ranked in the top hundred, but there were also there's a six fifty three, a six eighty three, and a nine ninety eight. Nine ninety eight is Davon Hamilton, who's a fifth year senior defensive tackle, who's going to start for these guys. He was barely in the top thousand. So I'm, gu- I, I'm guessing all the lower guys are usually the four, the four year, five year guys on the team right now. Malik, Har- yeah, Malik Harrison, I think it's a six fifty three guy. Yeah. Um, yes, I mean seven is Chase, eight is yeah, Okuda, right? Um, so that's and then, but also like Jonathan Cooper's a top fifty guy who has been good, but is not a, in my opinion, a game changing defensive player. So like he's a top fifty guy who would help the blue chip index, but hasn't exactly played. He's not going to be a first round pick. So like to to hear those numbers, does that? seem right of because of course every team has some two and three stars who develop into starters or does that sound like man i thought they'd have more top 100 recruits starting no because this is a team who recruits with the level of clemson and alabama but isn't competing at the level of clemson and alabama and that sounds like a correlation as to why okay well i think that that's a very good point actually and i i do think you want a mix i do think you want yes. the guys who are just Supremely talented, plus the guys who who get there later. They build there because um, they they can be at the same level as that guy who was the number seven recruit in the country. If you're six hundred, whatever, you can meet in the middle, three years, four years down the line. Um, but that does skew a little bit heavy on the guys who were not at the level that you would expect of a, a program with this kind of prestige. And we had Chad Peltier on the on the podcast a couple weeks ago who did some of this stuff, and he's really good at it, and I love Chad's work. I'm only discussing this in the context of if you are evaluating Ohio State based on the recruiting rankings of the players on the roster. This is a counter to that. Right. This is the offense. 2 24, 46, 53, 72, 97. Six guys in the top 100. 153, 191, 285, 543, 1,733. Who is Jonah Jackson, which is what Jonah Jackson was coming out of high school, which is why he went to Rutgers and not Ohio State. Now, we know what Jonah Jackson is now. He's a two-year starter at Rutgers and a captain, and he's a great college football player. But again, Jonah Jackson's not helping their blue chip rating. He's going to start. Nicholas Petit Frere is helping their blue chip rating, right? He's not going to start. So that that is that is all. Like the offense, you know, Fields is two. Um, ben Victor and Austin Mack were both in the top 100. Um, Jeremy Ruckert was, was up there. Although Luke Farrell is a tight end. I put you know J.K. Dobbins was top 50. So there is a lot of a lot of skill position top 100 guys. I just wanted to, but meanwhile, like if you go through all these other guys who are top 100 guys, like I don't know how Taraji Mitchell's, I don't know where how he's going to play. Tommy Togia is going to be in the mix, but he's in the mix with the guy who was a number thousand recruit, right? Teron Vincent, like, is in the mix. I don't know, you know, he's in the mix with 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 Haskell Garrett and Bebe Anders and other like. Th- there's just dudes who still have not quite broken through, so. I don't look at an 81% blue chip ratio that is the best in the country and automatically assume Ohio State's a playoff team. That's all. That's all. That's fair. But I also think that's all. Let's let's also not forget though what it means for a team's depth to know that that Correct. that next layer underneath is a lot of guys who just a year or two ago were considered the very best athletes in this sport at that position that were coming out of high yeah, school. Yeah, but depth hasn't won them a national championship since 2015. 2014. 2014. Right. Yeah. 2015 championship game, 2014 season. So depth is great, and 
everybody loves death. Everybody loves four to six A to B. Like we all, you know, we hear it every day. But it's not winning you a national championship. And when you're when you're recruiting at the level of teams who are winning a national championship, that needs to also mirror itself on on the field, and it hasn't. So and it's and it's been close. And again, all this discussion is it's. It's it's a fine line when you start discussing Ohio State among the best of the best of the best of the best. When we when we leave the Big Ten and we start talking about them in the context of Clemson, Bama, Oklahoma, Georgia, Ohio State, who are the five best programs in the country right now. And we're just trying to put them in context there because as we have sort of talked about here very briefly and we'll continue to talk about it all year, I think there are some things in this that would tell you, like, why aren't they Clemson? And as you said, Stephen... There might be some answers when you look at numbers like that. Okay, we're like at two hours right now. We haven't gotten to a single question. We're going to get to them right after this. All right, we're going to try to run through these babies. We're going to have one of us answer all these questions rather than opining three times on stuff. Uh, 80 responses. Sent the call out on the text subscriber list, projecttext.com slash Buckeye Talk. 80 responses. We're, I don't know if we'll get to 80, but we appreciate everybody who's, who's uh, sent in. Hi, Doug. Referring again to the blue chip ratio, which we just talked about. It's surprising how much more talent Ohio State has than every other Big Ten team. If the great recruiting classes of 17 and 18 don't win a national championship, would that be considered a huge failure? Would the failure be more on coaching or player development? Um, I think in some ways, yes. Brad, it's a good question. When they put together back-to-back number two classes in the country in 17 and 18, everybody assumed they were going to do that. They've had some losses. I think losing Trayvon Grimes hurt. Um, but they've added Justin Fields to that. Some things have moved around. I think you can't call it a failure because you lost your coach in the middle. So I just think we have to account for that somewhere. And I just don't like the word failure. And maybe some people like it. I don't like the word failure. That Something like not not being number one, not winning the championship is somehow failure because um, that's just a tough world to live in, especially with amateur athletes. So I would not consider it a failure because if nobody saw the Urban Meyer stuff coming and that threw a little bit of a monkey wrench into this, I thought with the 17-18 classes they would win a national championship. But I think the thing that is good for Ohio State is that it seems like Ryan Day is recruiting at a level that they can keep that up. And this won't be the last time they put together back-to-back classes like that. How would the game Saturday have to play out to cause real panic amongst the fan base? That's from the 813. Steven, we'll give that one to you. What's the scenario against Florida Atlantic that makes everybody say, oh, that has everybody SMHing all over the place? Well, I mean, they lose. But in all seriousness, (laughs) Justin Fields comes out and throws like three picks. The offense looks a mess. The offensive line is just not together. And the defense looks something like it looked last year. I think that's a good point. That is the thing that scares people the most. Any reminder of what the defense looked yeah. like last year. Is Brandon Bowen at right tackle a positive thing? Any chance he gets replaced if the line struggles early? That's from the three three zero. Nathan, the idea of, of Brandon Bowen, the fifth-year senior, beating out the top 10 national recruit, good or bad? Yeah, I mean, if, if, it's, if it's a true competition and he wanted out based in, in camp, yeah, I think that's a positive thing because you want the guy who's proven to be the best football player to take that spot. I also think he's a guy that, you know, we've seen this before. Those guys have some influence in a locker room when they've, you know, persevered like that, and 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 teammates do pick up on that sort of thing. However, I'd also say Nicholas Petit Frere is a talented guy too. Um, Ryan Day says he's going to play. You're going to have a, a, you know, eight guys, seven, eight guys might play uh, on Saturday. Um, you know, just in real time, not not including just you know garbage time later or anything like that. So I do think it's it may be 
somewhat fluid. Um, and and the thing to remember about Brandon Bowen is too, he used to be a guard. He's a guy that they can move around if they have to. So if there's an injury somewhere else, I could see him being the guy that that bounces around more easily than maybe somebody else. Two good questions from the three three zero. We only have time to get one of them. Um, the D has to be super hyped up with the return of the Silver Bullets talk. Are the guys feeling it, Stephen? Just the way that all camp defensive players have talked. Do you think like they have a belief that they've got it back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the standpoint of calling everything simple, even though Jeff Halfley hates the fact that everything is being called simple, the fact that guys are constantly calling out other guys who have been playing extremely well. Chase Young has pretty much built a list longer than Santa Claus of players that he feels can have breakout years this season. Damon Arnett has gone on record and said that the Bullets are back this season. It, it From the way they've talked, it's a different energy on the defensive end, and this is going to be a they, – they, they recognize that last year wasn't a bad year. It's not like it's us saying it and they're in denial. Like, they they recognize last year was a bad year, and they look like they're re-energized to, like, improve. From the three one six, I think part of the reason Andrew Luck retired is that he knew he could excel in other areas of life. Who on this team is most like Andrew Luck in that respect? Who could be just as successful off the field as on it? Two guys jumped to mind for me. One is Jordan Fuller, who is – just a stud in the classroom. I, I talked to him before the season about the idea of like, could he be both an all American and an academic all American? That guy is, um, incredibly smart and incredibly together. And I just, you can see him as someone who could go off into any branch of life and succeed. And he's had family members who have succeeded at the highest level outside of athletics. So, um, he jumps to mind. And then Austin Mack is the other guy who jumps to mind as someone who has had a seriousness of purpose um, with some of the things he does from a social justice standpoint that he's been super interested in that he got here. He just has a maturity to understand the issues at hand, um, both for amateur athletes in college football and also in society, that that you can tell he is a deep thinker. And I think he is interested in things outside of football. Because that's the thing, too. You have to have the, the ability, but you also have to have the interest. And I think Austin Mack has an interesting worldview that matters to him. And I absolutely could see him as a guy who could do a lot of things off the field as well. But that's, and, th- and there's, you know, there's a lot of really good guys in this team. That list is, it w- could be much longer, but those are the two that jumped to mind. Uh, from the two, four, eight, Steven, does Ohio state have any position group in 2019 that isn't future NFL caliber? The only spot I can think of is linebacker, but what is not NFL caliber? Like, I just sort of made a point about receiver right now, but like, you know, I think you would look at Olave and Wilson and think, yes, they have it down the line. Is there a position group that makes you think not NFL caliber, maybe? He's basically asking, like, well, they're basically asking, you know, there's not one person that you think would be, ugh. I think it is linebacker because. Dobbins at running back, Fields at quarterback, the wide receivers, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Uh, maybe the offensive line right now? I think Malik Harrison's an NFL player. So that's because one he, guy at linebacker, but okay. not across the board. NFL NFL player could mean a seventh-round draft pick who plays special yeah. teams Okay, so let's you put this I mean? on like, like for, first four rounds where like they're probably going to make the team type of – let's put it in that because it kind of limits this a little bit. So maybe offensive line right now? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's hard because the answer is eh, kind of nowhere. But I think if you had to zero in on a couple, I think that's yeah. where it would go. 
Someone sent this last week from the 412, and I'll give it to you, uh, Nathan. It's a really good question, and it relates to sort of what I was talking about with 9 and 3. We'd love to hear you float the idea of the LSU comparison I texted you last week. He, This person pointed out, could could Ohio State's 9-3 and three look like LSU's season last year? When they had Joe Burrow, they were really excited. They beat my, a ranked Miami team to open the year. They beat a ranked Auburn team in week three. They got as high as five in the polls. They had three losses. They lost in like 11 overtime, 74-72 to Texas A&M at the end of the year in the game everybody remembers. They got blown off the field by Alabama because everybody gets blown off the field by Alabama. They lose 29-0. And they lose a pretty competitive game on the road in Florida, 27-19. But they beat ranked teams. They beat Georgia. They beat, at the time that they played them, they beat five ranked teams but lost three games. But I don't know that if you would look at LSU, I mean, again, the LSU standard is different, but like we're looking at the schedule and the results right now. What do you think of this comparison? And if this is what Ohio State season looks like, is that a good season in some way? In some ways, it is it's still a good season. That's kind of what we were talking about before, that you have to put it in context and, and people can be spoiled a little bit. But the big difference is, I don't know that, is, is Ohio State ready on Saturday to go on a neutral field and beat the number eight team in the country? Yeah, maybe not. That's that's the big difference. I mean, they beat Miami and Auburn in two of the first three weeks of the season. One of those was a neutral field, and one of those is on the road. I don't know that I see this team going and beating top ten teams away from Ohio Stadium twice in the first three weeks of the season. That's that's asking a lot. But I do think also part of it is standards and, and what fans are used right. to. I think this three-loss season was viewed as a success by everybody at LSU because it's like, they got a transfer quarterback. They finally got a quarterback. They have good good players elsewhere, and they had a good year. The standard at Ohio State is different than LSU, and, I, and, I, and it's just like, how would it be viewed? I think it playing out this way, you know, with some wrinkles that you talk about, Nathan, is possible, but I think the view would still be different. I don't think people would be happy about them having a shutout loss at home, though. Yeah, even it's like, well, it's to Alabama. And it's like, well, no. you're supposed to be Alabama. That's yeah. not acceptable. Yeah. Um... Oh, this is a good one. I'll give it give this one to both of you guys. Not strictly a football question, but WTF, which means uh, watch that fool. But watch that fool. A DJ on the field at Buckeye home games, um, and a DJ is a dancing Joe. Watch that fool. A dancing Joe on the field at Buckeye home games? Bad idea. What's next? Dance parties on the field during television commercials? Yes, I am an old fart, class of 71, and longtime season ticket holder. That's from the 941 area code. I'll give it to both you guys. The idea is they're going to have a DJ and play a bunch of DJ music at breaks, DJ. in or out. Uh, out. I mean, this it's college football. You've got, supposedly, I've been told, a pretty good band here. Something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, supposedly like you guys that. have a good band, so this supposedly this this school has a, a, a great band, and that's what college football Saturdays are. It's it's the band. It's it's you know it's horn it's the brass it's that that's the sound I want to hear on Saturdays. I don't need to hear manufactured sound. I don't want this to be like I'm listening to the radio or it's you know what's blasting out of a club as I'm walking down the street. I want college football sound, and that's not a DJ. I sound so old. You're a young person. You're yeah. a young person. You're hip. As the millennial millennial in the basement, I don't have a problem with a DJ at a football game. I do have a problem with a DJ at a football game of a place that literally calls their band the best damn band in the land. When you have Michael Jackson in your band, you give him the mic and you get out the way. And I think this is like trying to hand Tito a mic. 
let Michael Jackson do his thing. Um, I do like some of the other elements that they've added, but yeah, I think Ohio State is trying to feed a crowd that they don't necessarily have to feed. It's Ohio State football. People are going to come anyway, and people love the halftime shows of Michael Jackson singing. So let Mike sing. Let Mike sing. Let okay. That was good. From the 817, who is Ryan Day's mentor? Who's his friend in the coaching ranks? Is there someone who he talks to regularly? Who's he going to call when things aren't going well? The answer is Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly, and Chip Kelly. But then Urban Meyer is going to show Meyer. up in his, in his office and tell him anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's going to be like, I'm on the phone with Chip. Can I get... Yeah. Okay, Chip, I got to go. He might interview <laughs> him. Um, I mean, Chip is where... If you guys don't know this, Chip Kelly and Ryan Day went to the same high school in Manchester, New Hampshire... Chip Kelly was the offensive coordinator at New Hampshire that recruited Ryan Day to New Hampshire. Ryan Day was the quarterback when Chip Kelly was the offensive coordinator. And then Chip Kelly went on to be Chip Kelly. And as Ryan Day said today, when Chip Kelly went on to be Chip Kelly, he thought, well, if Chip can do it, then I can do it too. And so it's all about Chip Kelly. This is hilarious from the same 817 because we're already over. Caesars has set the over-under for Rondale Moore mentions this week at three. I'm taking the over. I'm sure we crushed it. I I like Rondale Moore. I, sorry. It's good at football. Uh, Greg C74 from the 614. Perhaps too much has been made of the opposition determining personnel for the defense. We have the Rushman package, the Bullet, the Mike linebackers, etc. that will all play depending on situation. Other teams will try to exploit it, running five wide against our heavy personnel. What is the counter to that attack? Can we fake injuries and cramps to get the right guys on the field? Um, I, I guess you can fake injuries. But I, I, I think they, I mean, Ohio State believes in their personnel. And usually you can you adjust to the offense. So they'll be able, like the offense send their guys out and the defense allowed to adjust. So like they'll get, they'll get the right guys on the field. They're not going to end up with Pete Warner covering Rondale Moore. Nine. I think that we're at probably nine mentions for the week. Pete Warner on Rondale Moore is what you want to avoid, but you're able to avoid it. So I think they are going to have, I think it's going to be interesting to watch the personnel groupings for the defense run in and out, but I don't anticipate it being a problem. Question. We're going from a Hall of Fame coach so intense his brain hurt to the chillest coach in college football. How is the team going to respond to this crazy change when the coach needs all they have to give? I suspect that will be the difference between nine wins and 11 wins. I'm going to write a story about that. I've been asking about it all camp. Do you believe that, Stephen? Do you believe that there is something to Urban Meyer's intensity that helped them win that they will sort of have they will they will miss somehow? I was watching the documentary on Saturday after the Miami the the debacle that was the Miami Florida game, and one of the things that I took from it was if you look at the way Woody coached, that would never fly today. I think Urban Meyer's intensity was like a calmer version of what Woody was, a much calmer version because he never hit another player and got fired because of it. I think all Ryan Day is, is you know, he's just a, the a turn of the times of like, he's a calmer version of what Urban was. Urban's a calmer version of what the guy before him is. And so that's just where you see college football going nowadays. And Nick Saban kind of talked about some of the differences between today's football and maybe football 20 years ago it's now you do have to kind of explain things a little bit. you can't just tell a player to do something he's gonna go do it you gotta explain things more there is more of like that we're peers i guess than it is you know i'm your boss and i'm gonna tell you to do something you're just gonna blindly do it so i don't think that's that big of a factor as we think it is interesting i, I mean it's what you you can't know 
There's a lot of psychological stuff, but I, I think that's an interesting you, answer. You, you use you be who you are, and you let it work to your advantage, and it seems like that's working for him. From the three, two, one, I see your seven-part question that is super interesting and is not really a question, and we're going to have you on the podcast later in the year. I've heard a lot about teams that have good starters but no depth. Do you think OSU has depth or underperforming recruits? John Woodland in California from the five, one, two. Do you feel like Nathan? You've from the, from the, the the job battles we've seen and the things we've talked about and all the recruiting stuff we did, you you came from covering a program that couldn't compete with this kind of depth. Do you feel like what you've seen and heard about Ohio State, they do have depth on this team? No, I think there's I think there's legitimately depth, and I think what you have to remember, kind of going back to the what we were talking about before, we we get we think of so much. All this leads up to game one in that first depth chart that we see. So yes, on Saturday. Um, Brandon Bowen is starting over Nicholas Petit Frere. That does not mean that week seven, coming out of the bye, or I guess that would be week eight or whatever, that that hasn't flipped. I mean, these position battles continue throughout a season. So sometimes it, what we see is uh, underperforming is just guys who haven't got there yet. Sometimes guys don't get there until the last few weeks of a season. But th- th- these things are going to keep uh, developing as the season goes along. Tate Martell question from the 740. Tate Martell lost the job barely two weeks ago at Miami and was taking reps at receiver against a top 10 team in prime time. And not just reps, legit game reps with routes and blocking and everything. That's insane to me. That would never happen at Ohio State that quickly. Do you think he'd been taking reps all summer? I don't. They had to be keeping him happy so he will stay this year. He just wants us to discuss the idea of what did we think of Tate Martell lining up at receiver for Miami after ending up as the number two quarterback. Is that like a fit for him that could work? Or do you think it was like throwing him a bone to try to keep him around? I think a, uh, I think a little bit of both, but I'm going to lean more on the fit just because, listen, you couldn't win the job here and you couldn't, and you transferred to Miami thinking that you were going to win the job there and you didn't win it there. At some point, the conversation has to be had is of, can you play quarterback at this level or are you good enough to play a different position? I think Braxton Miller kind of went through the same thing when he came off the injury. It's like, dude, you're a good enough athlete to play wide receiver at the college level. So instead of putting yourself in a quarterback battle with two guys, one who was just all Big Ten, another guy who just probably had the best three-game stretch any college quarterback has ever had, how about you switch to a position where you can have just the same amount of impact as you would at the position you were playing to begin with? And I think that's what Tate Martell is. I think that's the conversation they had with Tate Martell. I think that I think that could be right. I think I think they. I also think he might he maybe could play there, but I, I think it's complicated. And as I said, best of luck to Tate Martell. I hope it works out for him. Tyler from Akron. My question is: Who do you guys think has the potential to be this year's version of Chris Olave? Doesn't have to be a receiver. I just mean a player that won't be asked to play significant snaps at the beginning of the season, uh-huh. but by the middle of the season, or by Penn State or Michigan, could break out in a similar fashion as Olave did in the Michigan game. Kayvon Pope. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, did the new guy just jump in, raise his finger, and like drop a bomb on us right about, there with about, a tremendous answer? Yes, while plugging a story that he written, wrote about <laughs> Kayvon Pope. Oh, did I? He's getting it. I think that might be the best answer you could give because the, I don't think Kayvon Pope is going to like steal reps. It would re- probably require an injury, but that's how Chris Olave got on the yeah. field last year. Yeah, and it, uh, he's just talking about somebody who comes in and like makes the most of their opportunities, sometimes even sporadic opportunities. And I'm again. Haven't watched a, a single snap, but w- w- the way that everybody else in that defense is talking about him was like, "Oh crap!" Like SMH. What did I just see? What did I just see out there? 
Like it, he's he's having those kind of flashes in a way that they weren't seeing it a year ago at this time. He's he's taken some kind of a jump. It may not be consistent enough for him to be a starting linebacker for this team, but I think he can go in and be disruptive and be opportunistic. And I mean opportunistic in a in a positive way. I was once told I shouldn't use that in sports because it has a negative connotation. But I mean like taking advantage of of sometimes limited opportunities. Oh, carpe diem. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, seize the hat from Adam in Kansas City. If you could design a game plan to beat Ohio State, what would it be? Um, I think it would be uh, a quarterback who can run, um, which is like duh. I mean, it's like how you beat Saban. It's like why Johnny Manziel could beat Saban. You've got to have a quarterback when you play because you're not going to be equal talent. You've got to throw a you've got to throw a wrinkle in, and the wrinkle that you can't account for is a quarterback who makes plays when plays break down. I think that's imperative. I think it's very hard for a drop back quarterback with less talent to beat a team like Ohio State. Um, and then I would throw out the linebackers, and I know I think Baron Browning's a good cover linebacker. I think Malik Harrison's a good cover linebacker. I still am not sure about the speed. I think Malik Harrison's good. I, I would throw in the middle of the field, try some crossing routes and stuff, and try to take advantage of stuff in the middle of the field. And then um, against Ohio State's offense, I would try to take away J.K. Dobbins, and I would like make them throw. And I would like try to stack up J.K., make Justin Fields keep it a lot on zone reads, Make him read his keys, like, you know, move down on J.K., make Fields keep it in the run game, make Fields throw, don't let him get outside the pocket, contain him in the pocket, make him sit back there and throw and say, we want you to beat us like Dwayne Haskins beat us. Pick us apart. But that's what I would do. That's what I would do early on. Um, And I might throw, especially early, I might throw some crazy blitzes and take some chances against a young offensive line that we think has upside. But especially if they're rotating some dudes and they have guys who haven't played a lot, I would try to throw some stuff at them to try to throw them off. Uh, is there any real chance that Florida Atlantic keeps it close from the the six one four? Is it like? I mean, yeah. What's the, the first, scenario? First four yeah. series when it's okay. like you know ten to nothing, and then they kick it up a notch. Yeah, honestly, no, no, no seriousness. I think the first quarter is going to be a little weird as the Ohio State kind of figures some things out. You still got a lot of guys who are, you know, getting on the field for the first time. So it might be for Atlantic. I think if if they were to break off a big play, I think it would be in like the first two or three series that they had on offense, but not for long. Yeah, I think you got to remember that these are new systems that are also being used by Ohio State to some extent for the first time. So there could be some wrinkles here early on. Um, I, I think it, it's it's more just you'll know it more from the vibe than the score, if that makes any sense. I think it does make sense. This is someone who tells me his real name and then wants me to use a fake name. So we're going to call him Bob Thomas on the podcast. Do you think that fan worries about players like Tuff Borland and Pete Werner are warranted? Um, or do you think your favorite guy, Bill Davis, and the bizarre scheme they replaced in kind of was a problem there? I wrote a story this morning about how their new linebackers are their old linebackers that they think are going to be better. Uh, I've been as big of a fan of Baron Browning and Taraja Mitchell as anybody. I have been down on Tuff and Pete at times. I'm willing to give it a shot. Isn't that kind of me? I'm willing to let the coaches decide who should play. <laughs> but I think there is a – I think that makes sense. I don't think that's just like an excuse. I don't think that Ohio State fans should be like, oh, gosh. Like, Tuff was hurt last year. And Pete underwent a physical transformation as as differentiating as anybody I've seen in 15 years. Um, they got better. They're going to be healthier. They're going to be stronger. And they were good at times last year. And I do believe that Bill Davis was not a good linebacker coach at the college level. And you know who agreed with me? Bill Davis. 
and and Stephen Means is going to write a story this week about what Al Washington is like, and it's accidentally going to be another hit job on Bill Davis. I didn't. It's totally on his own. Stephen's writing it. I'm sorry. It just permeates everything it's we not do. Not what I was going for. Accidentally. So anyway, I do think it's worth like. I don't know. We didn't get to see much practice. People once someone asked about what are the eleven on elevens look like. We didn't see a single one. The coaches are playing the best players. They're not. I don't. They're, they have no loyalty to any of these guys. We've talked a lot about royal, loyalty and ruthlessness in the Ryan Day era. There's no loyalty here. So I don't. They're playing the best guys. If they thought the best chance to win was Taraja Mitchell and Baron Browning, that's who would play. So I, I do think it's possible that we see a different Tough and a different Pete. And I get that. I just hope if if they feel like the linebacker play is not where they want it to be, that they're willing to adjust later. But I get I get what they're doing right now. I think fans sometimes see an athlete and they, they, they project the best version of that athlete on the field, performing at, 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 at peak performance in, all around. And I think when you're a coach and you're evaluating, you look at a guy next to another guy and you say, which one was in position to make the play? I think this especially comes into to play a linebacker. Which one of those guys is most consistently in the place where he's supposed to be doing the thing he's supposed to do? I think that's why right now the veterans are winning out. Again, as I was saying before, maybe that's different in week seven, week nine, week 11. We don't know, but I, right now I think they're playing the guys who have most. And you know, I think you were standing there at the table, same as I was with without watching them last week, where somebody had asked him this very mm-hmm. same question. And he like turns around, and he's like, "I can show you on the film, like it's those guys are are beating the guys you're talking about." So um, we have to take him at his word. From the three three zero, I respect your opinion on everything for the most part, but I truly don't understand why everyone is doubting Ryan Day because I don't think there was much doubt about Lincoln Riley when he took over. Ohio State and Oklahoma have virtually the same talent, and I'd venture to say Ohio State has more because of the defense at Ohio- at Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley wasn't replacing a legendary football coach. I mean, he was, but not, not Urban, Urban Meyer, Meyer standard. Um, I think people are playing with fire this year, doubting day. And to be honest, I haven't been this excited for Ohio State football since 2015. That's from the three three zero. That sentiment. Steven, do you get that? If there is an excitement of the newness that not really, I'm not worried about losing Urban. I'm super fired up for this dude. Do you get that? No, I 100% get it because it's not, it's a new guy in in charge, but it's the same, you know, thing. Pretty much. It's just, you know, it's the same house. It's just new people moved into the house. But like, you know, the house didn't all of a sudden, you know, turn into termites like eating out the wood and everything it's the same thing and really like his job and from what he's spoken is just got to keep the train moving you know at this like it, the the system is in place the coaches are established we just have to keep the thing moving so i could see why someone would be optimistic when all the talent is still there it's just a different guy who talks to us on tuesdays i get that too i i, I get it and, and again i, I I'm not doubting Ryan Day. I'm just trying to be realistic about it, but I get that. Someone asked, uh, are Justin Fields and JT Barrett around the same size, and is Justin Fields much more elusive than JT, or is, or is it just more of an athlete? He's more like Terrell Pryor. Fields is like 6'3", 225. JT was like 6'1", like 225. 
So they're about the same size. JT had a big butt. JT had a lot of power in his thighs and his butt and really like was like a fullback on third and one. Justin Field is not a fullback. He's he is he's like in between Pryor and, and, he's and built JT. Like a, he's more built like a basketball player a little bit. And he's a much better athlete. Yeah. And that's I, I like JT Barrett would say that. What JT Barrett accomplished in his Ohio State career, as much as we have sometimes questioned him on this podcast, is absolutely phenomenal. Tremendous leader, tremendous, tremendously tough and powerful and reliable runner. Could get into the open field at times, but he is not the athlete that Justin Fields is. And he did not have the arm that Justin Fields has. So JT was like super productive. Here's, I think, the biggest difference between them. JT in 2014, as a second-year college player thrown into the fire, led a team through a regular season that won the national championship. I think Justin Fields is less prepared than JT Barrett to do that in the exact same situation in his second year in college. I think his upside... Is much higher than JT, but he's more. He was more equipped to do it. Like as far as from a talent, I think JT's demeanor, yeah, his attitude, the fact that so much of what he did was in the run game and was in power in the run game, fit like. I just think, just whatever. Justin Fields has a higher ceiling, but also maybe a lower floor at the start. We spent the rest of JT's career waiting for him to be as good as a sophomore, junior, and senior, as he was as a freshman. I do not think we will be doing that with Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. I, do not, we, I do not think, of all the things I think, I do not think in 2020 we'll be saying, why is Justin Fields worse in 2020 than he was in 2019? I don't think that at all. I think we're going to be like, oh, man, this guy really learned a lot and is ready to explode. So I think it's, it's the upside and the athleticism that Fields has a pretty big edge on. Also, have you listened to Bill and Ari's new podcast, 4 to 6 with A and B? (laughs) Some people have listened to it. Love those guys. Uh, That's a pretty great title, by the way. No, no. It's very... I'm giving credit where credit's due. It's very, like, obtuse. If you don't know anything about it, you're like, what? Yeah. And then if you get it, you're like, ah! Like, it's it hits you. Like yeah. it's, I, which is like, yeah, yeah. My, really my, core fans will know what it means. Yeah, so that's my, why it works. My former co- like kind of colleagues once removed, um, Stephen Holder and Zach Kiefer at the Annapolis Star, covering the Annapolis Colts. Their podcast was Chopping Wood because that was like Chuck Pagano's. Oh, that was his thing. Yeah. So 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 people. This is like the natural title for a, a, a Colts themed podcast. So I think yeah, I think you're right. I think people will get that. Um. But to note, we have mentioned Ari and Bill by name and their podcast by name multiple times now. They're essentially a sponsor at this point. <laughs> Seriously. On their podcast, yeah. we are referred to... Some people. Some people. <laughs> We're changing the name of this podcast to Some People. Did you guys listen to Some People this week? Earlier you noted Pete Werner was working with the Bullets, correct? If he's considered a Bullet, will the Buckeyes ever really have three true linebackers in the field? The responsibilities that Pete Werner is going to have on the field will mirror the responsibilities of the bullet. The difference is the bullets are safeties playing linebacker. Pete Werner is a linebacker playing linebacker. So he's like 20 pounds heavier than Brendan White. They're going to ask them to do a lot of similar things. And I'm not sure exactly what the differentiation is going to be of when they decide to put Pete on the field and when they decide to put Brendan White on the field. But both of them are going to cover tight ends. Both of them are going to have to stop the run. Both are going to have to cover in space at times. None of them are going to cover Rondale Moore 11 times. Nailed that over. It sounds like the insurance policy, just in case the bullet is not 
quite big enough. Well, but I think they're going to play Pete a lot, and I think like against no, like Wisconsin and Michigan State, I think that I don't know that the Bullets going to play very much. I think I think the three linebackers are going to be on the field a lot. I think again, it's going to be like situational. It's going to be situational to the offense, game to game, and situational down and distance. Um, but in the end, I think what they their responsibilities are going to be very similar. But if you if you put Brendan White and Pete Warner next to each other, I don't know that you would assume they play the same position. They would look like yeah. different types of players, but their responsibilities are going to be the same. So they're going to decide in this moment where the responsibility is going to be the same: cover a tight end. Who's better equipped to deal with this player in this situation? Is it Pete Warner, who's sturdier and heavier and bigger and has a neck? Or is it going to be like Brendan White, who can maybe run with the guy a little more? So I think that's the difference. But I wouldn't call him a bullet because they haven't called him a bullet, but they drill together a lot in practice. I don't know, man. We're running out of, we're running out of time. I just came off a fantasy draft. Who has a better year, Terry McLaurin or Paris Campbell, Steven? Oh, man, that was easily Paris Campbell until recent events. I swear to God, the first thing I thought about when Andrew Luck retired was Paris, <laughs> Paris Campbell. Campbell. Like, he's also been he's banged up, too, right? Like he's, he? Yeah, I think he's been a little bit banged up. So Yeah, but, like, that's a sleeper pick, late-round pick, man. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. That might be a toss-up. Doug, this is more a comment than a question. It seems like there should be a little more optimism for Justin Fields' first season. That's not to say the prevailing outlook is pessimistic. It just seems like many of the experts, especially the local guys like yourself, are overly cautious. Um, should there be more optimism? I don't know if the it's dude's cautious. talented. I don't know if it's if it's being cautious. I think it's just being realistic and trying to be analytical. And again, we're removing um, emotion from the equation. Plus, we're the ones who have to actually put our names on it. We're not. You know, there's a reputation to try to... So I think if if what you see sometimes is people being cautious. It's just people trying to um, look at things from every possible angle. You're mixing in the the bad predictions with the good. There's realism, but the dude's still a five-star quarterback. So, like, there does need to be a little bit more optimism because he's a five-star quarterback. There's probably going to be some games where you're like, holy cow, SMH. You, you, we really saw something today, and then there's going to be other games for like you know he's going to learn from the way he helped them lose this game, right? Joe and Saint Pete, yo Doug, long time listener, first time texter. What can Greg Madison show us in Week One to stop me from setting up the website website firegregmadison.com? <laughs> um, I, again, sort of we already talked about. There's so much riding on the defense. I just think connectivity of the defense. Is the is the front seven connected to the secondary? Are guys not blowing assignments? Um, are are they not getting having mismatches with personnel because they don't have the right guys on the field? Are they not letting people run free in the middle of the field because they're having the linebackers jammed? If it just looks like a baseline level of competence, I think is the main thing because we didn't see that at times last year. We saw them breaking big runs because of bad angles and, and missed assignments. I think if they get rid of that, guys are going to miss tackle sometimes. Sometimes teams are going to make great plays. But stop making so many mistakes. Stop leaving so many holes in the defense because you're trying something schematically that is not working. I think if you see that, I think if you just get back to a normal Ohio State defense, just like you can't, I think you need to wipe away the 2018 offense for your own good because you can't expect anyone to be Dwayne Haskins. 
I think everyone's expecting that they want to wipe away the 2018 defense. So if this defense comes out in the first month and makes you forget 2018, you're going to want to give every new defensive coach a hug. And you're going to want to give every one of these nine returning starters, some of whom you might have doubted, a hug. Because you just want a baseline level of competence. Because if they're competent, they do have dudes. They've got some dudes. Just don't screw it up by making it too hard. This is a long question. Basically, it boils down to this person is saying a podcast question involves Michigan. Basically, they're not buying Michigan. They lost some really good defensive players. They think Shea Patterson's just average. They think Michigan could step back this year. As you guys, I picked a Michigan loss. You picked a Michigan loss, Nathan. Steven, you think they're going to beat Michigan. Do you think it's possible that people are overestimating Michigan? We are not Michigan beat writers. We don't know the ins and outs. But from afar, do you think that maybe people are wrong on the Wolverines? I think so. I think from the way he talked in Chicago at the media days and how he brought in Josh Gaddis and how that's an offense that's better tailored for Shea Patterson. And it's basically him kind of taking his hands off the wheel a little bit. I don't, I'm interested to see how long that lasts. I don't, you know, I don't think that's going to last long. I think eventually he's going to stop step. He'll step back in. I just feel like we've heard the story before with Michigan. You know, this is, this is going to be the third time where, and since Harbaugh showed up where, they were favorited, and they're going to be in a position. Most they're probably going to be in a position where going into that game, that can solidify a spot for them in a Big Ten championship and possibly a college football playoff berth. And we saw how it ended the first two times. And so, look, it's uh, show me. I got to see it first at this point because I just have we've seen we've seen this story before, and we've also seen what the ending is. We have so many questions. We, we can't get to all of them. They're so good. I'll try to answer them on the text or we'll try to, I, I don't, I don't know what to do. Maybe not, maybe not go for two hours in the first segment for the four questions. <laughs> we got to cut it off. What, I, I got to the people who got the questions in first. I'm sorry if I didn't get to your question this week. Please keep them coming. We value the discussion. I, I, I would maybe like to find some ways to start using some of these questions maybe in in other ways too because um again you guys your tech the tech subscribers the, the conversations are just are just elevated you guys are so smart about stuff um you're so involved you want to know the nitty-gritty you have good perspective on stuff we appreciate the tech subscribers we appreciate everybody who listens but um it's fun that you just there's a lot of great people out on twitter but if you're paying four bucks a month you really love this team so then we take it to another level so we love the questions please keep doing it if you haven't subscribed to the text project, projecttext.com slash Buckeye Talk. We have a bunch of stories coming this week. Nathan's working on something big. Steven's going to rip Bill Davis. It's going to be a great <laughs> week. I have like 10 stories I still haven't written from interviews a month ago. Um, we're here. The season is here. I'm exhausted. I don't know how long this podcast is. It's in five segments. This is too long. Is this too long? Honestly, it's it's to the point where now you could just start the podcast at kickoff and just listen to the podcast all the way through the game. You don't have to put up a part one and a part two. My head hurts. SMH. All right. Thanks to you guys for everything. Texters, listeners, Twitter followers, readers of Cleveland.com, at Stephen underscore means, at NW Baird, at Douglas Maurice, at Buckeye Talk Pod. Again, we did not get to the email questions, and I actually even looked at them this week. I'm sorry. I, we will get to them sometime. We're going to do post game pods. Get ready for that. 
If you're new to the podcast, we will do a post-game podcast after every game. We're going to write. We're going to get some stuff out to you. But either before we leave the stadium or after they kick us out of the stadium, and we'll do it in somebody's car or do it at McDonald's, we'll do like we've done in the past couple of years, a three or 30 or 40-minute post-game podcast full of your questions. Text subscribers, I will send out the call on text at the end of the game. This will be for tech subscribers only, answering your questions post-game. We're going to keep doing it with the super long one every Wednesday, but get ready for the post-game pod on Saturday. Florida Atlantic, noon Ohio Stadium. Outrageous predictions on Thursday. Game picks on Friday. We're going to give you on Thursday our full predictions for uh, Ohio State's Big Ten record, explaining this even more. Uh, our Big Ten champions are going up on Wednesday. Who we think is going to win? Ah! Can a podcast be too... I mean, I guess a podcast can be too long, right? It can be too long. Be honest. It can be too long. Can it be too long? Can well, it be too long if I say, can it be too long 30 well, now, times? Now we're, long? now we're really pushing right now, the boundaries. Now is the point. It wasn't too long before. <laughs> now it is. I'm sorry. He's Nathan. I'm Steven. Yep. I am Doug. <laughs> that is not... I'm Doug. That's like the most insulting thing that anyone's ever said to you, Steven. <laughs> Is me trying to say I'm you. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Douglas Maurice. We appreciate you guys each and every week. Get ready for Ohio State's football season on Saturday. And that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.